does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin, did you ever watch the television show? Uh, it, admittedly, it would predate both you guys, but you know, I mean, you'd be familiar with it. The Facts of Life. Either one of you guys ever see The Facts of Life? I cannot say that was appointment television for me. Well, but you are you familiar with? it? Heard of it? Yeah, but Mark? heard of it, never watched it. So I, I don't know how much I watched it, but the themes back in the day when theme songs were a big deal on TV shows. I I, I thought about it this morning because the beginning of the show, the theme song is "You take the good, you take the bad." So if you're just getting up this morning and you're getting ready for work, you take the good, you take the bad. The bad is it's another ugly day. It's rainy. It's going to be gray for like the next 48 days. But it's 50 degrees outside. So would you rather have it like this when you get up in the morning to go out and you don't have to warm up your car and scrape your windshield, but you don't see the sun? Or would you rather it be like wear seven layers, but it's sunny outside? Well, give me this until like 10 a.m., and then give me the sun the rest of the day. <laughs> if I'm going to be really picky about things. I mean, Shockingly, it stopped raining. I swear it rained for all 24 hours yesterday. But yeah, as you said, it's a nice temp. Looks like leading into next week, we'll be into the 30s pretty consistently. Um, and it certainly was raining for the Oklahoma City Thunder last night, not for the Indiana Pacers. Uh, one of the uglier performances of the season. Obviously, no Tyrese Halliburton, but the Pacers... Get smoked in OKC. They now have lost five straight for the first time all season. And uh, I think, I don't know if a dose of reality is starting to set in. That might be too harsh of a statement, but um, certainly the Pacers are struggling right now. We'll touch on that. Uh, Bruce Weber is going to join us here right at the bottom of the hour, right, Mark? 730? Jake, it's kind of ironic that Bruce Weber's coming on. Obviously, you have the Big Ten connection. You have the Purdue connection, the Gene Cady connection, etc. Illinois, his former team, plays Indiana tonight. Purdue's at Minnesota. But my initial thought to having Weber on was, I was listening to Tyrese Halliburton on a podcast a few weeks ago, and he gave major credit to Weber for the opportunity that he granted him to play on the United States U19 team back in... The year 2019, uh, the connection there would have been Halliburton at, in, at Iowa State and Bruce Weber at Kansas State. Uh, if you look at that U19 roster, and I bet if you looked at it back in 2019, Halliburton's name stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, what is he doing on this team? It's loaded with NBA talent. Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, all those guys. So my thought was, you know, this will be kind of fun insight to you know hear about Tyrese Halliburton on the national, international stage. And then, Jake, I feel like we've watched the Pacers over the last week, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way there's five more valuable players in the NBA than Tyrese Halliburton. I would agree with that. No way. And again, the acronym MVP I'm always torn on. Do you go most valuable player or do you go best player? Well, I think that has obviously long been debated, right? Um, you know, is it the guy that truly is of the greatest value to their team or, you know, or the guy that had the best year, I, you know, Andre Dawson in baseball, won most valuable player on a team that finished last. So did Alex Rodriguez. So how valuable were they that year? Well, I, you know, if not for those guys, maybe they only win 20% of their games, I, but sometimes guys have statistically such an anomaly of a year that you've got to give it to them. Right. 
Yeah, I think when you go value to your team, <laughs> it is absurd what Halliburton has meant to Indiana. And I think we talked about it, you know, in December into January of when the dude's a walking double double, gives you twenty a night, throw in ten assists, that means he's accounting for like forty five points, fifty points a night for you, and the Pacers are feeling the brunt of it. Uh, it's never good when Rick Carlisle's taking timeouts when you're down ten to one and seventeen to one. But that that game was over at that point. Seventeen to one, yeah. By the way, you know one question I'd like to ask Bruce Weber. Sure. And I, 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 you go a lot of different areas with him. Oh, he's yeah, great. You know, had had a great career, really. Do you know how many career wins he has as a head coach? This would keep me awake at night. Three hundred ninety-nine. Four hundred and ninety-seven. How old is he? Does he get back into 66. it? 66. Do you know how that would drive me crazy? I don't know that I would And he just... stepped away from Kansas State, or is that a mutual? Uh, I'm that trying to think of what exactly. Last... It's amazing because for all the success he had as a coach, his last four years they were, I believe, under 500. And, I mean, he was winning 25 games a year every year. And then just the last four years got away from him. So I don't know. I can't recall if he was let go or left. He resigned, it says. Yeah, okay. But I, he was, that seemed to be kind of a mutual thing. Right. So looking but forward to that conversation I, coming I would, up at 730. I would take a job and coach three preseason games and get to 500 and be like, all right, later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we get athletes in action here for a couple of games in <laughs> late October? Uh, but yeah, watching Even athletes not in action, whatever it takes, right? <laughs> watching the Pacers last night—that's what stood out. Is Halliburton again the value to his team? It's unbelievable. You know, everybody just rises on the scouting report. I mean, your I mean, Buddy Heald and Miles Turner as option three and four are much better than them at two and three. I mean, last night each of them uh, had a slew of turnovers, didn't even play twenty minutes. Uh, and then I think the other thing, Jake, that we've seen over the last week is. And I don't know if I needed to see the last week, but I, there might be some people inside of that building that needed to see the last week. It's a reminder that the big picture matters a lot. And right now, the Pacers are the ninth team in the Eastern Conference. And if you lose that first game, you're out of the playoffs. So, to me, with the trade deadline coming up three weeks from today, uh, you need to remind yourself that the big picture is what matters this season and don't do anything crazy in the short term. I, I think that... I'm. I'm probably going to be proven wrong, but I believe that the Pacers feel that they don't need to make any seismic changes. either On either side of the ledger. Correct. I think they feel... I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't know if I agree with that. The, the mantra has always been, if a trade comes along that can make your team better, you do it. But I so in other words, sure, Kevin. If somebody comes to them and says, "You know what? We 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 really like Giannis, but we're going to go in a different direction. So we're going to trade you Giannis for Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, and a draft pick." Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. You run naked up sixty-five. Right. But for the most part, I don't know. I don't. I'm not going to say I don't know. It is very my very strong suspicion the Pacers are not actively seeking for major deals. Yeah, I think entering this year, it's like if you're going to rebuild, rebuild. Don't like half-ass the rebuild. 
don't get to the era that you just exited where you felt like you were a team in the five or six spot of the Eastern Conference. Like, kind of shoot shoot for the moon. But is the difference, Kevin, I hear what you're saying, and I'm asking this rhetorically, okay? I mean, I, but is the difference between where the Pacers are right now and where the Pacers have been when they were kind of mired in that six to eight seed they couldn't get out of, is the only difference between the two right now simply experience? No, I, I think you need another major piece. And I think you're seeing it when Halliburton is out. You, you watch other teams, Jake, and but Milwaukee's again, a great example on... I get that, but here's the thing. I get that, but to is it counterproductive to give up three of your auxiliary pieces for one ma- more major piece? Maybe in the short term, but I think you could see a real benefit when Matherin, Halliburton, i.e. that other piece is 25 or 26. I mean, think about it like this, Jake. How about Monday, Pacers Bucks? No Giannis, no Middleton. How many of the Bucks score? Bucks put up one thirty against right. you. And again, that third piece they have, Drew Holiday, a great, great player. Um, that's a market that's not massive. Obviously, what they did and hit on Giannis speaks for itself. But that I think is the thought process. If you just got to keep in mind the big picture, uh, twenty three and twenty three. Now, well, again, when do I start worrying about getting to thirty? It's only mid-January. You're fine. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Let me look at this. That's 46. So what do I got? 36 to go? Hang on. So you've got... It's five in a row, Mark. Okay. Halliburton could be out for another... Well, let me give you a couple of games here. He wasn't even there last night. Let me Should give you a couple about of games, that? Kevin. At Orlando. Do they get that? God, now we're going these one-off games. This is when you know that I'm starting to sweat. At Orlando. Sacramento at home. There's two right there. At Washington. Let's say they get that. That's three... Uh, then you got at San Antonio four, uh, Houston at home five, at Detroit six, at Detroit seven. Boom! There you go. They got seven of them by early March. Yeah, you got the Bulls in there. Yeah, they got I mean, the Wizards. On, You're fine. The Bulls are a win. The Bulls aren't very good this year. They're up and down. Oh, speaking of wins, hang on, Mark. You, you have a win this morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stand by. It's radio. Can you guys please explain what's going on? Yeah, David's right. Shea Gildress Alexander is a tremendous talent. Tremendous talent. Oh. Paying off your bet, I see. Oh, we got some beer? Yes, sir. Uh, Mark and I had a wager Uh during the NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. We had two wagers. The first was, is this the last time we'll see Tony Dungy on television? Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, The other wager was, I believe it was... Will more than two teams on the road pick up a win? Mark said no. I said yes. Uh, Chargers looked like they were going to get me off to my 23 wins right on the brink of 30 like Kevin has right now to win his pacer bet. Uh, but then Jacksonville came roaring back, and then there were two road win, two teams to win on the road. Dallas won on the road. Who was the other? Giants. Uh, the Giants. Yeah, We said the Giants would, right? Uh, but anyway, so I fell short. The bet was a six-pack you got to crack it open, Mark. PBR. Oh. Now, did you notice anything about the six-pack I got? I didn't open it. I looked well, at it ahead. just to make sure it was all there. It wasn't Throw them like in the rocks fridge. In a, rocks in a... <laughs> Maybe one in the freezer by the 8 o'clock hour. That'll See, be golden. On? What's the difference here? Ah. Well, wait. What is the difference? Well, there's no major difference. There's a somewhat of a difference. It's uh, PBR light. No, it's not light. No, it's not light. Jeez, those are tall boys, buddy. No, they're tall boys. They're not. That's just not like a rack of 12 12 ounce cans. PBR tall boys are all I know. I was gonna say. I feel like that's kind of the norm for them. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen like. 
If you got a 12 ounce PBR, you're not doing it right. So am I seeing <laughs> this true. right, Mark? I saw you just retweeted. We got international games for 2023. Yeah, in the NFL, so I should five, say international teams, right? Yeah, so it's the, uh, stadiums, locations, and teams. Have, uh, the the um, the hosting team has been announced. Give us those um, teams. Yeah, let me pull it up right here. Uh, Tom Palacero says international games in 2023 for the NFL. The Bills, Titans, and Jaguars will play games in London. The Chiefs and Patriots will both play games in Germany. No Mexican Mexico game be- this year because the Estadio Ateca is undergoing renovations. So right there, Jags, Titans, of course. The Colts could fall into that. Patriots, I believe. A road game for Indianapolis this year. So, three options for the Colts to potentially slot what will be into the next international market. An international game. Into? You know, I'm curious do they go to like Australia for a season opener? Um, Here's the thing I don't believe, I don't think the NFL is very big in Australia at all, though. Isn't that the goal, though? I mean, I mean, get I get into it. a market no, that you but you. I mean, do you really need to go to, like, another European country? Like, do you need to go to Spain? Do you need to go to Italy? Do you need to go to France? Yeah, I was going to say Paris would be the one that I would think of. Because now you're in Germany. Um, But I think outside of that, the other country that I've heard is uh, Brazil. I was going to say South America. Like, well, that would be Argentina, Buenos Aires, or where would they go in Brazil? Either probably Rio or Sao Paulo? Yeah, you would hope one of those. Do you know the capital of Brazil? World Cup uh, stadiums is still. Do you know what we do on this show? Educate and entertain. That is correct. I believe the capital, I believe. Now, I'm going to have you, as the producer, Mark, fact check this, but I believe it's Brasilia. That, that was my uh, guess as is well. Is that right? Sao Paulo, the biggest city. Rio de Janeiro, the biggest tourist attraction. I believe Brasilia is the capital. That looks right. You're correct. <laughs> uh, tonight, a couple of road trips in the Big Ten. It'll be Purdue at Minnesota. They're Purdue's a two-touchdown favorite in that one. That's a big number. Shows you how Minnesota is just terrible. Uh, 14 and a half, the number there. Purdue already beat Minnesota earlier this year. At Mackey, Zach Eady was a dominant in that game. And then Indiana versus Illinois. I know Illinois played better as of late, Jake, but those teams would probably qualify as two of the more disappointing teams yeah. in the Big Ten this year. The Fighting Illini, a ton of roster turnover uh, for Brad Underwood's bunch. They've really struggled kind of December, a little bit into January. They've definitely played better as of late. Uh Six and a half, I saw, was the early line there. And I was surprised it was that big. Um, Indiana, six and a half point underdog there. It's important at some point. You'll have opportunities, but you're going to have to get one or two away from home if you're Mike Woodson's bunch. Brad Underwood, who I think is a heck of a coach, and I met him, yeah, it's not like I know him well, uh, on Final Four Radio Row a couple of years ago when he was at, where was he before he was at? Illinois. Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin. Almost yeah. beat the he, Irish in the second he round. He was just a really, really a cool guy, but a high energy guy. And I remember being very impressed by him and certainly impressed with the job he's done at Illinois. But Kevin, at the same time, he does strike me as the kind of guy or the kind of coach that could have a shelf life. You know, Larry Brown was like that. I, You're saying that because of his intensity level? Yeah. I mean,. It, that he is really intense and, dema- and demanding and so therefore can really turn things around and get it going in the right direction. But after a couple of years, guys can be like, uh, okay. And, and you look at his roster now, it doesn't even look like these guys were on the team two years ago. Right. I and mean, they've just had a ton of turnover there. Terrence Shannon, who was watched him play Notre Dame last year in the tournament for Texas Tech, is a great talent. 
Uh, he's been Illinois' best player this season. So that's an 8.30 tip there. Um, so we had this, I guess, two Thursdays ago, right? It was, what, at Iowa, at Ohio State, I believe, for that's Indiana right. and Purdue, respectively. So we get that again tonight. A couple of road games on that front. Um, I guess to be expected, we mentioned this earlier in the week, pretty quiet on the Colts head coaching interview front. You know what's quiet and surprises me a little bit? We have, not, we have not heard, and we've discussed this. Do they? I do know that Jeff Saturday is back in Georgia. Do they bring him back for an official interview, or is that just an understood? Oh, no, I would assume he gets an official interview at some point. I, wouldn't that have taken place? I mean, again, I'm not... I'd be somewhat surprised, Jake, if they do any interviews like today or tomorrow, unless it's Saturday. You know, the the candidates they've added to the list this week, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale, the two Giants coordinators, and Dan Quinn with Dallas, D'Amico Ryans of the 49ers. All four of those guys are coaching in the game this weekend. And I think Quinn and Ryans have said they'll interview, I want to say Ryan said in Denver and Houston, Late this week, and Ryan's or uh, Dan Quinn said he'd interview with Denver. So I don't think these guys are squeezing the Colts in here on Thursday or Friday. So theoretically, you would have open days today and tomorrow, right? If you want to get the Saturday interview done, maybe Jeff Saturday says. Now I'm. I'm this is like a Laurel and Hardy bit. Can you refer to him as say that all again? But instead of his last name, just go Jeff. Name. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Get Jeff in Friday. Or Thursday, or maybe Jim Mercer just says, "Screw it, he's a finalist anyway. No way, no, uh, no need to interview him." Well, that's what I mean. I mean, they they know what he brings to the table. They know that he's interested. Does he really need to sit down and you know go through? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, the process is there. He now, is definitely interested in the job, though. Did we see yesterday his offensive coordinator carry some water on Twitter for him? Well, he, he you talking about Dan Arlovsky? Yes. Uh-huh. I'd say one of the more pathetic tweets I've seen in a while from Dan Arlovsky. I know that there are, for the people that would like to see Jeff Saturday become the head coach, those statistics and those fact sheets are have been prepared. And, that's, and those facts that he pointed out, there are numerous statistical areas where Jeff Saturday's where, where the Colts improved under Jeff Saturday. The problem being that it, it is a, and I think Jeff Saturday knows this, it's a bottom line business, right? Uh, for those that missed it, uh, Stephen Holder, who works for ESPN.com, he was just tweeting out kind of a general, hey, these are some thoughts I have on the Colts head coaching search. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think he had anything like too specific on Saturday as a candidate in his tweets. I think he just mentioned that, you know, the Colts are compiling a nice list and yeah, I'm paraphrasing here. I should probably look it up, but something to the effect of like, I don't think Saturday is going to get it or whatever. Um, again, it's not like he was like, he was one in seven and listed the historical nature to the losses. The exact thing he said was the impressive list they've put together makes me more doubtful of Saturday's chances. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you have the Orlovsky retweet yeah. of mm-hmm. it? Yep. Can you... Can you uh, read that again? This is a quote tweet from Dan Orlovsky. Right. To Stephen Holder, he said, Tons of good candidates, but I know some facts. From when he took over as head coach, rushing yards per game, 30th to 12th. Rush yards per attempt, 30th to 10th. 
pass protection 29th to 11th plus five points per game led three games at half leg five games after what first quarter not saying no brainer but did some good stuff in tough spot do you think he copy and pasted that text from Jeff Saturday I think those that are interested in Jeff Saturday, um, there have been there are statistics out there that can be cycled through. But again, it's a bottom line business. Nothing like the old. Let's use rushing yards per game stat. Let's use first quarter lead stat. I will go back to what I said the other day, though, and that is. And I don't know this to be the case. I'm just trying to look at the glass house through multiple prisms. Because as I've said, I had the epiphany like a month ago. You know what? I, we sit here and our job is to critique people for a living. I guess it's fair that we should be critiqued and that our accuracy should be brought into play. And if we were going to like, you know, throw out reports of stuff that happened six years ago, that it's fair game for us to be questioned about it. And in this particular situation, just to present or to look at it from multiple sides, I can't rule out, Kevin, the possibility that Jeff Saturday, over the last eight weeks of the season or whatever it was, may have been doing or falling on a sword that he was asked to fall on. I'm not saying that's the case, but I don't know that you can rule it out, that they didn't say. And I know that Jim Mercer publicly said, like, you know, he wants to win football games. I get it. But do we know for a fact that it wasn't, hey, we need you to audit this football team, find out which guys need to be held accountable, weed out those that are not falling in line with what we want as representative of this franchise. And if we win games, great. But we need to find out exactly where the leaks are and exactly what parts of the car are not firing on all all cylinders. And that's what your job is. And if you win, that's great. But you are not going to be held by your record, but rather by what we see as a change in the culture and the atmosphere here. Yeah, I mean, I think as a competitor, that'd be pretty low of Jeff Saturday not to be focused on trying to win. Not to mention, wouldn't you want that on your resume? Of knowing it's a bottom line business, and if you go one and seven, the reflection of that is going to be pretty ugly. Again, two things on the Orlovsky front. First, the, that text to, to me screams he wants a job. Uh, I guess credit for defending his friend, colleague, maybe his future boss. Of course, Orlovsky and Saturday worked together. Ideas pain. It was a bit reminiscent of. Did you catch the IU basketball tweet a few weeks ago, Jake, after the Northwestern game? You remember the Northwestern, like, they're down 10, 12 the whole game, and then Galloway throws in a 60-footer to lose by one? Fought till the finish. (laughs) We have two early candidates for the saddest tweets here so far in 2023. Dan Orlovsky joined that yesterday. Again, Bruce Weber joined us in about 5, 10 minutes. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Talk a little Tyrese Halliburton and Big Time Basketball. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Just ahead of Bruce Weber, who's going to join us. Congratulations to Terry Morin, who last night became the winningest coach in Indiana women's basketball history. The Hoosiers' 83-72 win over number 21, Illinois. That's their career 189th win. Tonight in the men's college basketball world, IU at Illinois at 8.30, Purdue at Minnesota at 7. And to recap, last night the Pacers get smoked in Oklahoma City. That's five in a row for the first time all season. We'll recap it all throughout the show. Up next for the Pacers at Denver tomorrow night. Up next for us, Bruce Weber joins us on Kevin and Query. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Jake, our next guest certainly resonates in this part of the country, Big Ten country that is, both Indiana and Purdue in action tonight. So a whole lot we can get to with Bruce Weber on that front. But, you know, when I first came across this a few weeks ago, um, I was listening to Tyrese Halliburton on a podcast, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he mentions Bruce Weber's name. And it was, I first didn't make the connection of like, wait a minute, Bruce Weber was kind of a rival coach to him in college, right? I mean, Kansas State, Iowa State, like, it's not like he coached him in college, but then... Halliburton mentioned how he was the U-19 coach for the U.S. team in 2019, and and he was kind of shocked to make that team with a ton of NBA talent and really credited Bruce Weber for kind of showing him that he could be something on a national, international stage. So to get more into that, and again, talk some Big Ten Purdue hoops, of course, Bruce Weber joins us now. Coach, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? We are doing great. Thank you for the time on this Thursday morning. And let's start there. Um, 2019, you coached the USU-19 team. You are littered with NBA talent. But Tyrese Halliburton, you could argue, I think, was probably one of your more important players. Why did you select Tyrese? And I guess, what did you see at Iowa State that made you thought think that he could play with these future lottery picks? To be honest, he might have been our MVP. It was it was really probably close between him and Reggie Terry uh, for the tournament. And, you know, just a young man that just won, as you probably got to know him and, and watch him, he just plays the game with such great energy. He loves the game. He's such a good teammate, uh, just a leader. And, you know, we played against him when he was a freshman, and 
he didn't score much. He didn't shoot much. But when he shot, he, he usually made it. But his assist turnover ratio was just astronomical. If, if, and I could be wrong, but it was something like 10 to 1, 8 to 1 or something. And he just took care of the ball and he had great size. And, you know, I, I called his coach, Steve, and, and said, hey, I, I think he'd be a nice, you know, position player for us. Uh, you know, I hope he comes to the tryouts. He got there and. Uh, he just—he surprised everyone, to be honest, and and he just got better and better as the tournament went on. Just watching his maturation over that month um, was kind of amazing, and and it just the next year, what a difference as a player that that experience playing um, with that talent, you know, uh, playing against the international talent, it just gave him so much confidence. Uh, you know, for that upcoming season, and until he got hurt, he he was definitely one of the better players in the country. And then, obviously, a you know a draft choice, and and now just had a you know spectacular NBA year, and almost uh, I don't know an NBA All Star year for you guys with the Pacers. Yeah, undoubtedly. You kind of touched on a little bit there, but I was hoping you could expand. You know, when Halliburton made these comments, I'm thinking, oh, he must have gone off for like 20 against Kansas State as a freshman. I looked up. He played you guys three times. Zero points, four points, and six points. So, like, I guess what was it about whether Steve Prom when you talked to him or just how he played the game, I guess, that made you think, you know, even though he didn't have these huge games against us, we feel like with Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, he can fit in perfectly. Yeah, just that, again, his his leadership, his feel for the game, uh, his passing instincts, uh, you know, just, you know, I think that was the thing that really, you know, and then when he got to the camp and this was in, you know, we had some players, not only uh, players that, you know, you know, Evan Mobley, the guys you mentioned, all those guys, uh, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, uh, but the, the guys we cut were really, really good players. Hunter Dickinson and, uh, you know, I it just go on and on. The list was amazing. The, the, it was one of the better tryouts that I was ever involved with with USA Basketball, but he definitely set himself ahead of everyone just because he understood the game. Those other guys were so young, um, and they had won international competition, but it's such a difference, a big jump, because now you start playing against the pros and older players at that 19 and under, and the knowing how to prep at the college level, understanding what different ball screen coverages are and all those things, he was just a good leader for us. I remember him and Isaac Leichel, who was playing at Ohio State. They would grab me, and, and Mike Hopkins was the assistant. The young guys weren't paying attention. They'd tell us we'd take care of them. They'd put our arm around, don't get mad, coach, we'll be okay. And uh, <laughs> just, just good leaders uh, for us and, and helped us win the gold. It was, we actually, you know, we, it, we, I think it was the biggest winning margin ever in U19. Um, you know, our, our, our winning margin for all the games, the only one that was maybe a little close was, uh, the championship. And then we kind of expanded that thing as the game went on. Bruce Weber, who has been a conference coach of the year in three different conferences in college basketball, joins us on the Payless Liquors hotline here this morning. Coach, I'm going to get a little bit Freudian here, but you have always been, and listen, I get it. I'm sure you have days where you're stressed or you have bad days or things aren't going your way. But it never really shows. You're always like this upbeat. I mean, it's seven thirty-eight in the morning, and you're upbeat. You're awake. You're you have a smile in your voice. T- 
Tyrese Halliburton, to me, from the outside watching it, seems to play basketball that way. He seems to always be enjoying it. He seems to not get too down on a turnover or a bad play. And that seemingly lifts the others around him. A, is that an accurate assessment of his game? And B, did you having a similar mindset each day allow you, younger in his career, to recognize his benefit in that? Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I think that's a great way of – he just loves the game. He appreciates the game. I still remember he, his uh, coach, Steve, kept calling me. Is he going to make it? He's going to make it. I said, yeah, he's one of the better players. Don't worry. Well, his mom and his, his aunt wanted to buy tickets to come to, to Greece, which was uh, – to play a tournament in Creek, Greece, was a pretty nice thing for, for myself and our staff and our players. Unbelievable experience. But, you know, and he just – you know, he was a two-star recruit, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, you know, you know, just he was just so happy to be there. And right now, just you watch him play in the NBA, he's just happy every day to be part of it. And and he and he competes, and he brings, he just lifts everybody up with that energy and and you know, feel for the game. Have you seen coach? I mean, you've coached a long time. You've you've coached some great players over the course of your career, whether it be Purdue, you know, I mean, obviously Southern Illinois, Illinois, Kansas State. Once guys, the thing to me that I think is going to be interesting about Halliburton, and I want you to talk me off of this ledge. Sometimes you never know. Once guys become the straw that mixes the drink exactly how they're going to respond to it and whether or not they don't outgrow the things that allowed them to be put in that position in the first place. Is there that possibility? Do guys change once the game comes to them? Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, Are you saying in a bad way? Yeah, well, we've seen, you know, just for example, and and they're wonderful players, don't get me wrong, but like in, in Indiana, I think Pacers fans have like a PTSD over Paul George becoming a star before our very eyes and just kind of getting a little bit overwhelmed by that and outgrowing his brand, so to speak, a little bit with Oladipo as well. And I think people have hesitation to fully invest in on Tyrese Halliburton because it's like, wait a minute, he's becoming a star right here before our very eyes. Is lightning going to strike a third time on us? Yeah, and and that's what I thought you were going toward. And I would tell you, I would be shocked if he changed, just knowing him, knowing his background, knowing his family, uh, his dad, I think, think still referees games, um, you know, summer basketball, things like that. Uh, I remember they, he, my brother's a high school coach up in Wisconsin and, and knew his dad and, and, you know, they, they FaceTime with me after one of the games and the dad had just refereed a game and, and, you know, I just don't see that his roots are so you know, appreciative, the gratitude part, I, I, I'd be honest, I'll be shocked if he would change. And, you know, and, and I and I know what you're saying. I've experienced it. I've watched, you know, Darren Williams and, and been around guys like that. And, you know, it's hard not to change. And But, uh, you know, in, in his case, I think he's going to keep that happy, bubbly feeling and keep playing the way he does because that's what makes him special, to be honest. 
His dad is quite the character. I was fortunate to hang out with the family a few times, and they are uh, they're a great bunch. Again, Bruce Weber with us, longtime college basketball coach. You now see him on Big Ten Network, National Coach of the Year um, in his history, and obviously a ton of time in West Lafayette. Coach, I was listening to Matt Painter the other day, and he mentioned that he feels like he's simply implementing the blueprint that he learned under Gene Cady. When you watch Purdue and have watched him under Matt Painter, what is that blueprint? And if any, what ways do you see Matt Painter doing things maybe differently than what Gene did? Well, you know, I, obviously Matt was my assistant. I, re, I coached him. I recruited him. Um, and, you know, he's just uh, – I knew from when he was a player, you know, just coming in the office, hanging out, uh, that he was going to be a good coach. Uh, you know, he – I, I helped him get his first job with uh, Tom Ryder, who was one of our other assistants, went to a D3, uh, Washington and Jefferson. And, you know, he drove, the, I'm sure you've heard the story, drove a, a forklift at the Coke uh, plant in the morning and then helped out and coached. And, you know, it just kind of showed you how much he loved the, the game and he wanted to coach. But, you know, he's just a really smart basketball coach. And he understands the way Coach Katie won and, and the way we all had success or tried to, that you get good quality kids that want to play college basketball. They want to be at Purdue. Uh, they want to get better. And, you know, I think that's so important to him. And he's been able to establish that brand and, and have success and continue to have success. And that's why he's got those guys. They they really want to be at Purdue. They want to play for him. They listen. They're coachable. I've been to practice several times this year, and and he demands of a without uh, probably the fieriness that Coach Katie had, um, and you know, but yet he's still demanding. And and we talk quite a bit. And I and I've told him that you know one of the things I'm afraid for some of the young coaches now that they're afraid to demand things out of the players uh, because of all the portal and NLI and all that stuff. But, you know, Matt coaches them. He still coaches them. He makes them do details. And I think the one other different thing with him is he's – Matt and Kevin Stallings are two of the smartest offensive coaches that I've ever been around. And, um, you know, he just he, – he understands the game. He, he studies the game. And he's, he's made, you know, different than Coach Katie, obviously that tough defensive brand, you know, and, and they're produced good defensively this year. But Matt's offensive intelligence is, is at another level. Coach, I was just talking the other day. Bruce Weber's our guest. We were just talking the other day. It was Glenn Robinson's 50th birthday. I'm the same class in high school as Glenn, 1991. You were at Purdue as an assistant at the time. And that was a golden era, really, for high school basketball in the area. I mean, Montross and Bailey were a year ahead of me. The Grams were two years ahead of me, Leary. And then you had, obviously, Alan Henderson and Glenn in, in my class, Damon Bethea. I mean, there were a lot of great players. But that was to your point. We had Hoop Scoop Magazine and Off the Glass. Those were like the two things where you could read about recruits. We didn't have the internet and rivals and all of those things. So Glenn Robinson was like this mythical figure. He was like this urban legend, this kid in Gary, just wait until he comes downstate and you see him playing, and boy, did he ever, right? What was it like recruiting back then versus recruiting now for, for coaches? Just how much have things changed, and have we almost given too much power now to the player as opposed to the coach? 
Well, you know, the recruiting then was amazing. And you talk about a golden era, the going to the wigwam, sold out, you know, Mackey Arena watching Glenn playing us in semi-state or whatever, you know, 12,000 people. What it, You know, just I tell people the all-star games, um, you know, sell out crowds in, in – you know, in the Pacers Arena or down in the in, in Louisville or, or in Lexington. So it was such a special time uh, for basketball in Indiana. There's no doubt. Um, you know, and, and to have you know to watch those young guys and watch them grow and watch Glenn grow as a player was really special. But the other part, I'd laugh when you bring up Hoop Scoop Magazine, the recruiting. That was my one of my major tools. And Matt Payne would come in the office and steal it. And Coach Katie would ask me about young players, and I said, "Well, Matt took my hoop scoop. So, um, but it, it, you know, it was different. And you know, Coach Katie always worried about change. Um, the game, you, it, it evolves. Um, my dad worried about change. You know, that's just part of life. And I, you know, I think the game's still good. I, I do worry about the NIL if it's sustainable. Um, I worry about you know some of the implications around it. I think everyone does that. You know all the coaches that have been involved. I think even the young the young coaches that I talk to are worried about it. So you know it'll be interesting how this whole thing evolves over the next few years. But I I don't know if that nil is sustainable. And and again I'm not against paying the players. I I think there's been a lot of progress with you know get, giving the players more things. Um, you know, my players between cost of attendance and uh, their scholarship checks and all the other little things in the food. I mean, they were making twenty, twenty-five thousand before NIL, and and they were doing fine. You know, and and you know, I think sometimes national media, um, you know, made it like we were just abusing these guys. And I was like, come to our place, man. And I still remember. And we talked about this other night in the Big Ten studio. Um, the player from UConn said that he went to bed hungry. I promise you, none of our guys at Purdue went to bed hungry. None of our guys at Illinois, at Southern Illinois, even I, you know, we, those guys were well fed and well taken care of. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's a, you know, it, it, times have changed and, and you, you know, that's part of coach Katie. One of his big things, he always told us, you want to stay in the business, you've got to be flexible and you got to change with the times. And that's why he stayed in the business, and that's why Matt's been so successful. Is the league – is basketball different from one league to the next? I know that at its core, Bruce Weber, that basketball is the same game. But, like, for example, when the Big Ten gets – when Big Ten teams get into the tournament, is it a different style of play that wins between January and March in the Big Ten than what you need to play, say, in the Big 12 – and does that give any one league an advantage over the others once they're all thrown into a tournament? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that there is a difference. Um, and I think, and, and I don't know why, uh, but our guard play that I experienced in the Big 12 um, in the last stretch is just, it's, it's different. Um, the athleticism, the two guard, we had a lot of two guards, the small ball, and I, and I really believe... Uh, once you get into the tournament, I think that's been the success. Obviously, Kansas, Baylor, uh, other other Texas Tech a few years ago, our, even my team, K-State, we went to the Elite Eight not long ago. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that's the difference. And it's, uh, I, 
I worry a little bit for the Big Ten as we get into the you know into March again for this year. If you have the guard play that can control games in those close games and make the plays that matter. Coach, we'll end with this and really appreciate your time. Again, Big Ten Studios, Bruce Weber mentioned where you can find him right now. Purdue, uh, what they've done this season kind of speaks for itself. They appear to be the Big Ten favorite as we approach the midway point of the Big Ten schedule. You see anybody challenging them the rest of the way in the Big Ten? Pardon me, I lost you there for a second. Yeah, you see anybody challenging Purdue atop the Big Ten here as we get into the second half of the Big Ten slate? You know, it. I, I think they're the best team, that, and, and I say team. Obviously, they have the best player. Uh, Zach is unbelievable, and, and his improvement is amazing. So much credit to Matt and his staff. Um, but I, a lot of things can happen, and they had a. a they're going to have one other bad stretch, I, I think. I mean, all teams go through it. They are young. I worry about the, the their the young guards wearing down, even though they seem to have that special toughness and that they have that special Indiana feel for the game. There's no doubt the the fundamentals and that that I'm sure you've watched through the years. Um, but I, you know they're going to have a couple setbacks. But I think there's going to be a lot of losses in the league. The balance is just amazing. Um, you know, from one one through probably through twelve, eleven, it's it's going to be hard every night. So. You know, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, the team to beat. There's no doubt, but you know, they'll have a little setbacks, and you know, somebody may get hot here and have a nice stretch run. And I really worry about injuries. Um, you know, being a big, you know, factor. It's already been a factor for Michigan State. I think if they were healthy, I thought they could maybe push uh, Purdue a little bit. I think Illinois, if they can stay together as a group, they could push. Uh, Purdue a little bit, and because of their style, and they they got some you know pretty good guard play, and those young guys have developed. So, what about Indiana? Uh, I, I you know it's it's they it would be nice to get healthy again. I don't think I don't know what Xavier Johnson's situation is. I think they need him just because of the guard play, and uh, and they you know I thought they competed, and you know Coach Woodson said a week ago. They needed to play a lot harder, and they needed to compete, and I thought they did that against Wisconsin. And it'll be interesting here the next few games how they continue to make progress on that defensive end. Okay, last thing for me, Coach, and we'll let you go. I've got to ask this, though, because this would drive me bonkers. You've got an impressive and incredible resume, Bruce Weber. You've had energy. You've had success. You've been well-liked. You're sitting on 497 wins. Like... It would drive me crazy every night where I'd think to myself and be so tempted to go somewhere for three games, get three wins, and sayonara, and get to 500. Does that drive you nuts? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I didn't even know it was 497. Uh-huh. Now, see, now you want back, don't you? Well, three that, games. That describes your lack of ego and my co-host's ego with that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love coaching. Um, I, if I could, you know, if the right situation came up, um, I got, you know, for my wife, my grandkids, I would coach again. And, uh, cause I just love it. I, I miss, I, the one thing, the big 10 networks helped me stay involved with just going to practice and being around staff, sitting with Matt and his staff. And well, you know, Tom Mizzle, I sat with him a couple weeks ago when I did their game for two, three hours and just hung out. And, you know, that's what I miss that, that camaraderie and all that. So, uh, but, you know, and I guess to answer your question, I would coach again, but it's got to be the right thing, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. You know, 18 years at Purdue was just amazing, and 
Um, I thought I'd stay there forever. It didn't work out. I got other unbelievable opportunities. And, you know, if that's in my plan, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I uh, love it and so fortunate and blessed to be part of college basketball, especially in the golden era that you talked about. Well, we're certainly lucky to have you. We're lucky to have you on the show this morning. Can't thank you enough, Coach, for the time. And uh, we'll be watching you on Big Ten Network and hopefully see you on a sideline here. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Bruce Weber right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Really, really enjoyed that. Again, for those that maybe caught it halfway through, Jake, the early thought in having Bruce Weber on was there's a Tyrese Halliburton connection there. I thought that was really insightful. Kind of the first five or ten minutes we focused on him coaching Halliburton during the U19 World Championships in 2019. They won the gold medal, a slew of NBA lottery picks. But Halliburton, as he said, probably the MVP of that team. Uh, and then obviously the Big Ten stuff kind of speaks for itself. And did he? He said I, I had that right, right? He said he would like to get back into yep. coaching. Okay, so Notre Dame wish list. Add Bruce Weber's name. There you go. go. I, you know, Kevin, during the Final Four here, one of the years, and I I can't recall which. I mean, they kind of all run together. But I was downtown with um, two of my friends who are Illinois natives and both Illini fans. Bruce Weber was at Kansas State at the time, but he was, you know, coaches are all here for the Final Four. And we're walking down Maryland Street, or one of them, and, you know, my buddy's like, oh my gosh, that's Bruce Weber. So he and his wife go over to, like, get a picture with him because they're Illinois fans. And they said, like, we're Illinois fans. And he moved on from Illinois. But he could not have been, like, you would have thought that that he stood in their wedding. He could not have been nicer and more gracious That's and awesome. friendly and took photos and asked about their kids. I just could not have been a nicer guy. You know, when you have people like that on, I texted Mark a few weeks ago about the idea. I'm like, you just don't know how it's going to go. I mean, I don't have this great relationship. By any, I don't have any relationship, frankly, with, with Bruce Weber or have anybody that know him that well. But um, we were able to contact Big Ten Network. And uh, again, for those who missed it, really good stuff, not only on the Big Ten, the history of it, the current state, but also on Tyrese Halliburton. For those that missed it, Pacers missed Tyrese Halliburton a whole lot last night. We'll touch on that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Update you things on the Colts search-wise. Jake, something we have not talked about this week, and I think what transpired maybe Sunday night has kind of bled into a little bit of this discussion. Would Lamar Jackson make sense for the Colts? Let's chat about that as well coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Again, two big Big Ten road games tonight. Purdue at Minnesota. Big favorite in that one, Indiana. Probably the much more important game, honestly, uh, at Illinois tonight as a uh, hand. Last I saw, was like five or six points underdog on that end. So we'll discuss it all coming up. Kevin and Query, 8 o'clock hour. Glad to hear you guys. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Enjoyed the Bruce Weber interview. As much as we did, Jake kind of sharing a similar story that you had of Bruce Weber here at the Final Four. My brother-in-law texted me, uh, thinks this is back around like 2010, 2011, that uh, met Bruce Weber at a concession stand line at Wrigley Field. Said he was so cool, willing to talk to us for several minutes. Yeah, just a super nice guy, right? I mean... And uh, he said he uh, gave him a hard time about the IU shirt that my brother-in-law was was rocking there. So uh, if you missed it, that'll certainly be up on the podcast. Um, you had mentioned, Kevin, and good morning to you, by the way. 8 o'clock hour underway. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan on a Thursday. Fortunately warm out, but not necessarily um, sunny outside, but we'll take what we can get. Kevin, in terms of the Colts, we have talked so much about the coaching search, which seems like they're kind of narrowing down their interviews and then, you know, a little bit of a holding pattern. Right. Um, You know, the other big question mark is going to be the guy who is taking the snaps, who is going to be the quarterback for the Colts this coming season. I think it is very safe to say that they will. I think, especially from the owner, be strongly encouraged to explore a quarterback in the upcoming draft. However, that is not to say that that player automatically is handed the reins. There are certainly players in the NFL right now quarterbacking that are very successful that either took a year before they were handed the reins or took a year to get going. I heard yesterday, just for example, I heard Chap on, on with Brian Hammonds on the Midday Show, and Lamar Jackson's name was brought up, not necessarily because he would be the guy that you think to yourself, like, they're going to go all in to get Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying that, but the, the situation in Baltimore is intriguing. They can franchise tag him, I believe, but if that relationship is so fractured that Baltimore decides not to are you intrigued by pursuing that option you know I've always been intrigued by Lamar Jackson as a player Um, such a dynamic talent stresses you like no other Uh, but I would not want him here given what you would need to get him here and that's a whole lot you know you mentioned the franchise tag Jake in all likelihood you would have to trade for him and then give him Obviously, a monumental contract. I mean, hasn't there been talks of his side once what Deshaun Watson got with Cleveland? I mean, that is an absurd number for a player that, again, is an incredible talent. And I've made it very clear that the mobile element of the quarterback position has to be tapped into more by the Colts. They just have been too statuesque at quarterback over the years. But when I say mobile threat, I don't mean you need Mike Vick or Lamar Jackson. Like, that to me is... First off, that's incredibly rare, rare air, to quote Jim Mercer. But it also brings susceptible hits and injuries. And if you look at Lamar Jackson, he just turned 26. 
So let's say you slap the franchise tag on him, so then he's 27 next January, and you give him some sort of whatever, six-year deal. I don't know. Who knows if he wants more than that. Jake, that means the meat of his contract, when you're paying him that extraordinary type of money, he's into his 30s. How long can Lamar Jackson continue to be as dynamic of a dual-threat quarterback as he's been so far in the NFL? That is the concern for me. That would be the worry. Again, giving up a draft pick, paying him that money. At some point, when these guys get into their 30s, you do naturally have to be a little bit more of a pocket passer type. Uh, Would he still be worth that value? I would argue he would not be. Um, so that's where the hesitancy would, would play in for me. And I guess you just have to be honest about your cap situation. Could you make it work? Sure. It would create a really, really tight cap. And some of this is the Colts' fault when they've paid positions that I don't think deserve the type of contracts they've given. The likes of a guard, a running back coming up in all likelihood, a linebacker. We've been over that time and time again. That's why I think it's so beneficial to find a quarterback have him on that rookie deal for five years because you can still support him really, really well. Of course, not the proven talent that Lamar Jackson is, uh, but there are some questions that I would have. I like Lamar Jackson too, but I can see why the Ravens are a little bit hesitant to give him this massive contract because the last two seasons now, 12 games he's played. He's been out the last five each of the last two seasons. Well, five and four. He's missed 10 games games in in five years. Yeah. And lately, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that where he's missed a huge chunk of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he missed five end. this season, four last season. Yeah. He missed one in 2020, and he played all in 18 and... So well, again, he, he, I'm sorry, he missed one in 19 and 20. So are these the hits adding up, Jake? Are these the... Is this the style of play? He's always done a great job, I thought, of kind of avoiding hits. I mean, he's... yeah. I think it's a great description. I've heard Rick Venturi re- refer to him as an eel before. I think it's, he is. He just kind of slithers his way, and, and it's hard to get a hold of him. You don't get a lot of clean shots on him. But I just... I would not feel comfortable having such an absurd... Well, absurd is a negative connotation with it. Such a massive amount of money to a player that you need elite, healthy athleticism for him to be as dynamic as he is the, into his 30s. So it begs this question, okay? And I don't know this answer. There are certain guys that their mobility, Doug Flutie, Randall Cunningham, those would be two guys that come to mind. As passers, they were not necessarily, and and I'm sure there are people that can point out to the contrary of this. I'm going off of you know 30 year ago memory, but their passing was predicated upon them getting loose, dancing around, and almost throwing in the motion of of their running game. And once their mobility from a running standpoint went away then they did they lacked Randall Cunningham had an unbelievable arm don't get me wrong and Doug Flutie's known for you know the most famous Hail Mary in arguably football history but but they were not your typical drop back drop back sit in the pocket find an opening passers so once the legs went away it became more difficult to get production out of them Lamar Jackson, I think, probably has a better arm than he is given credit. I mean, remember Bill Polian saying he can't play quarterback in the league. Well, that clearly was wrong. 
But is he, Kevin, a guy that once the mobility becomes normal, because it's not now, right? Once that mobility is taken away, can he then, can you still get production out of him at a high level strictly based on his in-the-pocket presence? I would say no, and I would say no, Jake, to the value that you're paying him. I mean, you would be paying him to be a top-five quarterback in the NFL, and right now he's got athletic traits as a dual threat that you could certainly make that case. I just don't think that would be there deep into his 20s, early and early 30s as the hits continue to pile up. Like, Let's say his game right now, Jake, is... What makes Lamar Jackson truly great is, you know, whatever. 80% runner, 20% thrower. I'm just throwing out percentages on that. Or the threat thereof. Sure. Right. What if that comes down to 60-40 or 50-50, where he's still mobile, but he's not the fastest guy on the field, which is what he is right now. Or, again, the injuries from an availability standpoint. That is what would concern me. And it goes back to, again, when I think mobile threat, I'm not thinking Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson. Those guys do not grow on trees. I'm watching what Dak Prescott did on Monday night. I don't think we look at Dak as some, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose sleep overnight about Dak Prescott running in the open field. I don't think he's viewed like that. But yet he made a handful of big plays with his legs on Monday night, or what Daniel Jones did against the Vikings. That was a little bit more of a traditional runner. But it's those types of things where when you can you get outside of the pocket and make defensive backs have to go from defending for 3.5 seconds to 5.5? And what does that do to a defense? One thing about Lamar Jackson that I think should be pointed out in fairness you know, you see guys sometimes that if they are really mobile, you know, running back threat type quarterbacks, sometimes their decision making falls victim to that because they they wait till you know, CJ Stroud at Ohio State, the big knock on him this past year was it was the opposite. He had such a good arm that at times when lanes opened up and his athleticism could have gotten him eight yards, he was hell-bent on staying in the pocket for an extra two yards or slipping away to buy himself an extra three seconds to then air it out for a 35-yard attempt. And people at Ohio State are like, just run, man. But the, the other side of that, Lamar Jackson, I think, one area where he is not given enough credit, I think he is a really smart quarterback in terms of knowing and a lot of it's by design I get it but knowing when to buy himself that time and knowing when that time is about to disappear and it's time to get up and go no oh, he's got great instincts instincts that's the best way to say great it. great instincts and he's never Jake I never feel like he just panics in the pocket and immediately tucks it you know he he gives the pocket a chance and he always keeps his eyes down the field it's not like he is just you know, oh boy, first option's not open, I'm ducking, and, and I'm know, running. The two players from a collegiate standpoint that I have seen that are in the NFL right now that just turned the world on its ear with their electrifying college play that happened like overnight where they were running an offense where you're like, oh my gosh, these guys can't be stopped. It's unbelievable. Joe Burrow would be one, but he had incredible weapons that he was throwing to, right? But the two guys that just came on like a like a brush fire where you're just wow like look and 
with Lamar Jackson, it has translated. The other is Jameis Winston. I, when Jameis Winston was at Florida State, I remember, you know, it just was like, holy cow. I mean, this is like a tidal wave coming in. I don't know how you stop it. They're, they're, they're going to drop 45 a night just based on this guy's level of play. And for whatever reason, for Winston, it has not translated. But for Lamar Jackson, it has. You brought up, well, yeah, and I think different styles. Not, not that you were com- comparing them stylistically. Correct. Um, I'm just saying both of them seem like instant, nonstop offense. You brought up C.J. Stroud earlier, and the thing that has me trying to place him into what Chris Ballard's mind thinks of quarterbacks. You know, Ballard has offered this quote several times about a quarterback. At some point, they've got to thrive in the pocket. You know, at some point, a team will commit resources to take away your running element. I agree with that to a, to a degree. I, I don't, you know, you can spy the hell out of Josh Allen on Sunday if you're the Bengals. And at some point, Josh Allen's just still going to make a play. Like, it, right. That's just how, you know, the NFL game is. And, but I bring that up to say, C.J. Stroud, I think, has proven in college, to your point, Jake, that he can thrive in the pocket. He doesn't need to be so reliant on his legs. I think that would be attractive to Chris Ballard in that if you take away his run element, if he's dealing with an ankle injury, whatever, this is a guy that's proven that he can hang in there and chuck it 30, 35 times in a game and give you a darn good football. Um, So I think that is something to continue to keep in mind about these quarterbacks here over the next um, three months. We're going to talk some Pacers with Scott Agnes coming up at 9 o'clock. Mark, I know you were intrigued on the quarterback front by something. Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert for the Athletic Yeah, Academy. so Dane Brugler, obviously, obviously draft talk, revving up with mock drafts and everything. Dane Brugler of the Athletic put out his mock drafts. And one of my biggest pet peeves for these mock drafts is occasionally they'll say, trade, and yeah, they won't give any yeah. compensation of what, what the offer is. Well, Dane Brugler... Solid guy. Uh, said the Colts will draft a number one trading with the Bears. He actually offered trade compensation, which I am I'm actually on board with. I think this would be a fair okay, trade. Hold on. Give me the give us the side of the ball and see if we can guess the player. No player. Who? Only picks. Only picks. So they're sending him the, the fourth overall mm-hmm. to Chicago, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming probably their next year's number one as well. And one other pick after that. Second rounder this year. Yeah, gotta be the second round. Yes. So Dane Brugler has the Colts projected to draft Bryce Young, number one overall, trading with the Bears, the number four, the thirty fifth, and a twenty twenty four first round pick to the Bears in exchange for the top overall pick. I'm actually okay with this. Um from a Bears standpoint? From a Bears standpoint, yes. I know people say, ah, two firsts for moving up three spots, but you're gonna have to pay you have to pay up a little bit on the Colts front if you want to move up to number one. And correct me if I'm wrong, the Bears don't have their second, right? Wasn't right, that, Chase that was the Chase Claypool move. So you get a, a very high second uh second round pick. And then on top of that you also get to stay in the top four, which means you'll actually be able to draft like a Jalen Carter or a Will Anderson, which I'm I'm hoping they get one of those two. So if you can stay in the top four and then also get a first round pick next year, especially if you don't think the Colts are gonna be very good I think that's a very solid trade for the Bears. And then Brugler, I assume, had Houston taken C.J. Hu- Stroud? No. He had Houston taken Will Levis at number hmm. two. Where'd Stroud go? Stroud goes to number five uh, to the Carolina Panthers via a trade with Seattle. Interesting. So Stroud drops to five. and he, Yeah, he's got Young, Levis, 
And then Will Anderson to the Cardinals, Jalen Carter to the Bears, C.J. Stroud to the Carolina Panthers. I think, I think there's about? a lot of Colts fans that would see that mock and say, just stay at four and take Stroud. I don't disagree with that. I think Stroud, listen, I'm not some draft guru, but is there a huge difference between Stroud and Young other than size? And Stroud's the bigger of the two. And the thought with Young, obviously a little bit more dynamic as a runner, a little bit more of to steal the phrase from Dane Brugler that he used with us a few weeks back, creator instead of just a passer, albeit C.J. Stroud showed, I think, in that semifinal game he can create as well. I, I, st- I still think Houston just trades back up to one. Doesn't Houston – so, Mark, Houston picks at two, and then don't they pick again like at 12? 12, yes. Yeah, so they have the second so and Houston, the 12th. Houston's got – I think they have 12 total picks in the draft, yeah, not got to a mention lot. two and 12. I think Houston's going to say, we can't run the risk of Indy jumping us. If we have one quarterback that supersedes the other, we've got plenty of ammo to trade up one spot Did and then Smith, still have a ton of – You think Houston of, would throw in the 12th, though, for that? Maybe not the 12th, okay. but – they have plenty of ammo mm-hmm. that they can sit here and say, "Hey, let's just move back up one spot, and you know we can sacrifice some draft picks because we have so many." This Brugler's year. argument for why the Colts and Bears would trade is because Poles and Ballard have a relationship going back to Kansas City, and then he said, "Well, Bryce Young would be an outlier uh, and somewhat off type for Ballard. His instincts, vision, and accuracy as a passer are the traits worth betting on at the position." Now, I'm going to get to that, but mm-hmm. very valid. Did did Lovey Smith go for two because he knew Houston was going to fire him and he wanted to screw him from first to second? That, that's the talk. <laughs> That'd be awesome if that was Seriously. true. Seriously, um, Bryce Young's accuracy—I I don't dispute that. But the way—and I've mentioned this before—I've had this conversation with some people when Peyton Manning was coming out into the draft, when Drew Bledsoe was coming out into the draft. You know, some of the guys that were big time, I mean, going back to Elway, who was mobile himself and, and, you know, might be the greatest of all time. But at at that time, the way that defenses played and the offenses that were being run in college football were very similar to one another from college to the NFL. So college football offered a much greater – prediction of what a guy could do at the professional level than today where if you look at it, collegiately if you look a lot of times offenses start sideways and then go down so a lot of bubble screens a lot of stuff that are that, that get guys in rhythm and in addition to that at the upper crust schools the alabamas the clemsons the upper Auburn, quartile or upper crust the upper quartile of oh, the upper quartile which is rare air okay, okay? At those schools, you have receivers that are so superior at getting off the line against their defender that a guy like a Bryce Young, who there's no doubt has a great arm and and has very good timing, but he's also throwing in windows that over the course of the last two to three years, he has become accustomed to those windows just being there. And the... The change from the college game to the professional game now is, in fact, greater, where sometimes I think it is almost a benefit to get a guy like a Josh Allen or like a Patrick Mahomes that is playing at a Wyoming or a Texas Tech where, sure, they've got good receivers, but they are having to learn the 
the collapse time or throw to tighter windows because they have receivers not getting the separation that Bryce Young's receivers have or that C.J. Stroud's receivers have. Or certainly Will Levis at Kentucky. Correct. In the SEC. Like Justin Fields, for example, I think at Chicago has probably played well and been the the outlier of what I'm talking about, but he was a guy that, that had guys I mean he was throwing to look at the guys he was throwing to yeah. Chris Olave Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson I mean yeah. he's throwing the guys that yeah. are wide open right I think it probably took him time now he is so mobile and so good and a bigger guy that he has done a nice job with that you, you want a quarterback that is Trevor Lawrence th- is one that I think it took him time because in Clemson he's throwing to T Higgins and he's throwing to you know to Justin Ross and guys that are open all the time it took him time to get to get used to that and he's 6-6 yeah I think there's an element of you would like to see the quarterback go through some adversity in college right whether that be 100% with his receiver personnel and Will Levis's case people will point out he had three offensive coordinators in three years there you know, again, it's not all, and Trevor Lawrence has experienced this, it's not all rose petals and smooth sailing throughout an NFL career. So I think those are all important things to keep in mind. Again, we'll uh, get into the Pacers conversation with Scott Agnes coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Speaking of the Pacers, let's lead off the morning checkdown with their game line. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And leading with the Pacers, we look at the fact that last night Oklahoma City 126-106 over Indiana. That is now five straight in terms of losses for the Pacers. They are in Denver tomorrow night. Oklahoma City, a four-game winning streak. For the Pacers now, as I mentioned, five in a row. Andrew Nimhard, 18 points last night. Here's Rick Carlisle after last night's game. I thought the guys in the fourth quarter did a really good job of just continuing to compete and play and take advantage of opportunities. Um, but the beginning of the game was ugly. Um, and most of the rest of it was ugly other than the fourth quarter. And so, you know, we got some things to get better at. You know, our attention to detail to start the game was poor. And uh, we just got to get, we just got to get better, learn, learn from this, and get better. You know, we get two, two more very tough games on this trip. Usually, never a good thing when the coach leads off with the compete level in the fourth quarter. Uh, timeouts at ten to one and seventeen to one for Rick Carlisle. Trevlin Queen got in the game in the first quarter. That was probably when you knew you could turn it off. Twenty-four turnovers a season high for Indiana. As Carlisle mentioned, at Denver. At Phoenix coming up this weekend. I know Phoenix is struggling. Miles Turner, DeAndre Ayton. Struggling. Saturday night. Uh, tonight. I want to kiss you. <laughs> tonight in the Big Ten. Again, handled beautifully by Susie Colbert in that situation. Uh, tonight in the Big Ten, uh, it's going to be an early tip from the barn. Purdue at Minnesota. That is a 6 o'clock local time tip, 7 Eastern. I believe it's ESPN 2 for Purdue. Are you surprised, Jake? 14 and a half point road favorite? That's a lot. It's a big number for sure. Zach Eady was absolutely dominant in the first meeting, 31 Because they're not exactly blowing people away, right? They're just really good down the stretch. They're very well coached. Uh, 89-70 was that first matchup between these two teams. Uh, Here was Matt Painter yesterday on the challenge in defending Zach Eady. Yes, without question. You know, there is. 
Um, and that's what he's got to keep and understand. Like St. Peter's bottled him up and he turned the ball over five times. Um, some people have just doubled him to where he's got to be a passer. And then our guys have stepped up and made shots or haven't made shots. You know, and no one's trying to miss a shot, right? So as long as we stay process-based and make good decisions and take good shots, you can live with it. Because when you take good shots and you get people in rotations and you miss them, you still got a chance to rebound the basketball. The play's not over. Uh, Indiana, by the way, at Illinois. That is an 8.30 tip tonight. Illini coming in with a four-game win streak. And congratulations to Terry Morin, who is now the winningest coach in Indiana women's basketball history, getting her 189th win last night as Indiana's fantastic season continues. They win last night, 83-72 over number 21, Illinois. The Hoosiers are 17-1, and 7-1 in the Big Ten. Jake, it's kind of been a busy week, or busy, yeah, week plus, I guess, on the Indy 500 announcement front. We had Kyle Larson for 2024 last week, Takuma Sato earlier this week with Chip Ganassi for this May, and we got Shaquille O'Neal DJing in the Snake Pit. Is he? I saw the sh- the lineup. I didn't see Shaq's name. DJ Diesel. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Shaq yeah, right. will be. No, I'm serious. Shaquille O'Neal will be DJing in the Snake Pit this year. That is the most fitting thing ever for him. Can we get him on the show? Got to That'd be awesome got to be a carb day for us Shaq on the show um Jacob said this many times and I sit right there in turn four so you see the snake pit like, do whatever you need to to get a couple thousand extra and if at some point 20 or 40 people all of a sudden make their way over to the actual infield in turn three and maybe then they make their way eventually into the grandstand if you're Doug Bulls you've accomplished what you want and imagine if Shaq because think about it like this the that, biggest DJ in the world Think about it like this. That's late May, obviously. So that's playoff time on TNT. If Shaq and Ernie and Kenny start talking about, hey, Shaq, what are you doing this weekend? No, you're right. You're right. That's huge. You're reaching an audience that you obviously are not usually going to sniff. So, yeah, Shaquille O'Neal. I'm actually surprised they didn't make more of that in the announcement, right? DJ Diesel. I, I just saw them say DJ Diesel. And my apologies that I didn't put two and two together. Yeah, we got to get him on, Mark. For sure. I want to kiss you. I couldn't care less about the team struggling. I want to kiss you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah! Huge compliment. God almighty. I forgot about his loud yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, boy. On that note, we will try to move on to other subjects. Can we play that one more time, please? Kevin Aquari struggling into the 830 segment here. I want to kiss you. I couldn't care less about the team struggling. I want to kiss you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah! Huge compliment. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. 
That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Now, Mark does this from time to time, Kevin. See, we guys or gals come into shadow uh-huh. that are in the rotation for you know producer and fill-in roles and things like that. Parker from the Pride of Ball State, who has done some broadcasting and has... Mooresville native. That's right. Done a lot of stuff with Richmond High School and gone through the Ball State program. Uh, he's been in here for 20 minutes, and so Mark decided, since I brought in the PBR, that he'd just go ahead and hand things over to Parker, and now we don't know where Mark is. I've got is. a six-pack to go through. What are you talking about? <laughs> Struggling. Again, I think that one in the freezer, Mark, should be pretty cold by now. You just <laughs> pop mean, that open. Good Lord. By the way, right. am I... I want you guys to be honest with me. I will not be offended in any way, shape, or form. Am I an idiot? Now I'm going to give you the disclaimer as to why I would be an idiot. Boy, Parker, he's setting for, me up for this one. I just am I an my idiot head yes, right? For not realizing yesterday when I saw the Snake Pit, to your point, Kevin, the Snake Pit concert at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it is by design you know, to be a gateway, right? To get younger people that may not be yeah. interested in the race ADM itself. music, DJs Correct. that you, know, you and so, I have not heard of. It's not necessarily my genre, but it, it is cool, man. I... From where I'm broadcasting in turn three of the race, I'm on the outside of the track. I mean, not, you know, on the outside of the turn. But I look across. I mean, the track's down below me. And then straight across from me is where the snake pit is. And it's always fascinating to me over the course of the race to see the pyrotechnics and the the, the light. I mean, all the light stuff taking place. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, there's a race going on. And yet there are 15,000, 20,000 people there that are enjoying a concert, which is super cool. And the idea, of course, is to get them introduced to the event itself. But when they announced the music lineup yesterday, and I, admittedly, I had a preconceived notion of, well, I'm not really into EDM music. So I, I you know, the Carb Day concert, I always know the acts. I don't for, for the most part, for the Snake Pit. I had no idea that DJ Diesel was Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, to answer your first question, I did get a few texts. Jake's an idiot. So, thank there you. you. Go. <laughs> no, yeah. um, honestly, the reason I clicked on the article, Jake, was it was a picture of Shaq. I'm like, wait, Indy 500 Shaq? He can't fit in the pace car. <laughs> that was my first thought with it. Um, but, you know, as I said before the break, again, for those that missed it, Shaquille O'Neal is going to be a DJ in the Snake Pit coming up for the Indy 500 in May. If somehow Shaq's... I mean, if you talk about the most popular shows on television right now in a sports genre, inside the NBA has got to be near or atop the list. I mean, people watch that religiously. And if you get to late May, particularly in the playoffs, and all of a sudden, and they talk about a whole lot of stuff that's not just basketball. If you've got Charles or Ernie or Kenny... And they bring up to Shaq, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And he, you know, I could see them having a segment of like Shaq's fake DJ and getting ready for the Indy 500 on Sunday. That is a goldmine for what the Indy 500 needs to strive for and continue to grow, continue to reach a younger audience, continue to reach a different sports demographic. Right. You know, sticking in the sports world, but reaching a side that they haven't. So uh, kudos to Doug Bowles and. And whoever else was behind this, and uh, Mark, that would be a dream if we could get Shaq on. Speaking of cracking beer on Carb Day, was well, uh, Cor- Coors Banquet is what I that, was that is d- right. delivered last That's year. That's right, yep. And we were, what, inside for the first hour and then outside for the last two? Is that what it was with the Mother Nature? I think that was right. I think that was right. 
Well, hopefully the sun's out like it is right now. Obviously, temperature, we'd want it a lot more. Oh, but God, We're actually seeing the sun. We weren't supposed to see that this morning. I was going right? to say, a nice start here to this Thursday morning. Scott Agnes going to join us at the top of the hour to talk Pacers. Um, am I reacting too much to this past week, Jake, and saying the Pacers need to keep in mind what they said in October and November of big picture, big picture, big picture? Five-game losing streak, now ninth in the East. I mean, even with Halliburton, you were seventh in the East. It's not like you were guaranteed a playoff series. I, I just, I really want to see some patience with how they react to the trade deadline. And obviously, the Turner extension is going to dictate a lot of things, if he signs it or not. But um, I just think you need another major piece. I don't believe that the Halliburton injury... I don't think that they see it as the necessity. I think they knew the way it was worded to me, this injury is a real bummer, but we'll be okay in the long run. So I I think they knew it was going to be some bumps in the road. I don't think that they are. Again, I think the Pacers' mantra has always been, you look at every trade, you listen to every offer, but I don't know that they are necessarily going to be. Now, with Miles Turner, if they if it's very clear that they that he is not going to resign here, then yes, you, you start to look Have at it. Have to trade him, but but I don't think that that is their first priority. I don't think that's their first priority. Yeah, I think what you've seen here over the past week again is the value of Tyrese Halliburton to your team. I'd argue he is in the top five of most valuable players to his team in the NBA because now everybody's rising on the scouting report. You know, Benedict Matherin. Or Buddy Heald, they're drawing now the best perimeter defender. And I think you're seeing that with the struggles. Heald, particularly last night, uh, really sloppy from a turnover standpoint. You, you almost feel like you got to force-feed Turner a little bit more. I know he played really well on Monday. He struggled last night uh, in the turnover department. I guess, I guess another question that the Pacers need to ask themselves, Jake, is what's the goal of the rebuild? Is the goal of the rebuild to try and be 4-5-6 in the East every year? where you kind of were in that Oladipo era early on? Or is the goal to try and get to where you were Paul George, David West years? To where you were one of the best teams in the East. You were hosting deep into the month of May. You were taking Miami to the brink. That, to me, is where the goal should be. The goal should be to get back to the top of the East. I know it's difficult. I know in a market like this, it's difficult. But to me... I don't want to half-ass the rebuild. I want to try and kind of shoot for the moon and not say, let's win 46 I think the goal, and be competitive Kevin, in a 4-5 series. I think the goal, and I, I'm sorry to make a, a comparatively dated reference, but I think the goal is and always has been to simulate the Reggie Miller era, and I don't mean that based on the fact that they went to the, you know, that was the only group to go to the finals. But the fact that this city fell in love with the Pacers from an NBA standpoint at that time because they got in the playoffs in a couple of straight years and, and got beat by the Knicks. And then they went out and they brought Antonio Davis back from Europe. They, Dale Davis had been drafted and emerged by the early, you know, was coming into his own in the mid-90s. And they added auxiliary pieces. They went out and traded for Mark Jackson, which was huge, and upgraded off of Haywood Workman from 94. 
but you went from all of a sudden then in 94 you kind of surprisingly make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You come back in 95, you knock off the Knicks, you get back into the Eastern Conference Finals. Reggie Miller gets hurt, then you come back and you add Chris Mullen and Sam Perkins as veterans and you are probably the best team in basketball in I mean the Bulls in 98 were obviously the best team, but Indiana was the the, the only team to really rival them and you saw that in the document the, the 30 for 30 about you know Jordan or not 30 for 30 but you know what I'm saying so but people fell in love with those teams Kevin because it was like a literally like a seven-year stretch of just little moves based on what you knew was the core and I think with Tyrese Halliburton after you've seen what happened with Paul George after you've seen what happened with Victor Oladipo I think the blueprint is let's have we now have the guy that we hope is the centerpiece that's going to be and let's hope that we keep him here for another contract so he's here a while and we have the pieces now that we can auxiliary put around it to let fans of the Indiana Pacers know that their core is one that they better familiarize themselves with because they're going to be here for a while. I'm not saying that that's what they're going to be able to do, but I think that's the blueprint of what they would like to do. Hey, fans, get to know Jalen Smith and Andrew Nimhard and Tyrese Halliburton and... Chris Duarte, Duarte maybe is a piece that you flip, but Isaiah Jackson, obviously Benedict Matherin. These are this is our this is the young core. This is this new version of Reggie Miller with with a young Jalen Rose added to it, and the Davis brothers. What they need is one junkyard dog. They need one guy like a Dale Davis that's an enforcer type. I know that the NBA has changed away from that a little bit, but they got nobody that's like a meat and muscle guy, no, right? No, not at all. So. I think that's the blueprint, though. I Unless really Goga's think, fighting that assistant coach like he did that, last that year. That was impressive, yeah. right? Yeah, uh-huh. But I think that that is the blueprint of getting a core that people can rally around and feel like they know and that they're not changing it all the time, but that they are simply adding it little by little. I think they thought they had that with Paul George and George Hill and David West in that group, and then Paul George left and, and the house of cards fell. And then they thought they had it with Oladipo, and then Oladipo got hurt, and he he didn't come back for the playoffs, and 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 the house of cards fell again. The Paul George team, though, one of the best in the East, unquestionably. No question. The Oladipo teams, I don't think you ever looked at it like that. So again, I think if you're Kevin Pritchard, you got to sit down and say, all right, what are you, or what what do we want to try and be? The middle of the pack Eastern Conference playoff team that probably is a little bit of a safer route, and if you just kind of re-signed the guys you have right now, maybe get an additional piece, you could probably get there. Or do you want to try and strive for more? I, I think that's the route. Again, it's the route that is more difficult, but that's where I'd like to see them go. Just a reminder, three first-round picks for the Pacers coming up in this draft. I'd be stunned if they made selections at all three of them. I, I mean, you've drafted... Right. Hell, you drafted three rookies last year, and two of them are playing prominent roles. Um, I think you would need a package. And know, two of those are going to be turn into two of those are going to be in the last five picks of well, the round, right? It's interesting if you look at where Cleveland is now in the East, and just to go over everything. Obviously, the Pacers have their own pick. They've got Boston's pick. Boston's one of the best teams in the league. Cleveland right now is in fifth in the Eastern Conference. Remember last year. Cleveland gets into the play-in. They lose both games in the play-in. Then all of a sudden, that first-round pick 
that you thought you were getting when you traded Karis LeVert to Cleveland, that reverts to 2023. If for some reason the bottom falls out of Cleveland, which I don't think it will, but again, from a standings point of view, you should probably just point it out as of right now. If they were to fall into the play-in and again, lose both, that first-round pick would turn into two seconds. So that is just something to keep an eye on. Ideally, this is probably where you'd want them to end up. Lose that first-round matchup, you know, get kind of a late-teen pick to go with your own, go with that Boston pick. Uh, but if I look at the Pacers draft right now, I think ideally you're packaging those picks. I think ideally you'd fall into the lottery with your own pick. I know that a lot of people have kind of thought playoff, playoff, playoff here over the last couple of months. I don't think that that would be the best outcome for this season. And I'm expecting Tyrese Halliburton to still miss many games. Um, I know he's supposed to be reevaluated a week from today. Uh, but if that thing is anything that you're worried about, just keep him out through the All-Star break. You don't need to play him. If that's the case, package some of those picks and try to move up higher up in the lottery. Because I know Webb and Yama's been, obviously, the, the, the craze of it. But, Jake, you talk to some people, it sounds like there are you know probably three or four other really good players right. in this draft. I mean, Benedict Mather was right. six overall last year. So, You know, um, I was at the game, oh gosh, I, last weekend. I think, it, well, it was Friday night when they played Atlanta and Tyrese Halliburton was there. And and, and I had never seen this before. Uh, he was wearing clogs. Is that a thing now? He had an interesting outfit. Was that the game? I couldn't tell if that was Atlanta or Memphis. I think it was Atlanta. He was wearing like... Um, kind of like gray sweatpant type things and then like patent leather clogs sweatpants look comfy they did um and i made reference to it to uh holder stephen holder who i was with and i said well that's certainly an interesting outfit and i like to think of myself as somewhat on the cusp of of you know what's hip and uh, uh, probably beg yeah i was gonna say i'd beg to differ after the dj diesel comments now, now wait a minute Mark, did you know who DJ Diesel was? Yes. Did you? Yeah. Did And Kevin, you did or didn't? Yeah. Right. Heard yeah. the name. Not going to act like I'm watching Shaq DJing on YouTube or anything, but yeah. Okay. Um, it just, what I'm saying is from a marketing standpoint, it probably would be wise to say DJ Diesel and then say, by the way, that is Shaquille O'Neal, right? I'm more curious about this hip in the fashion world. Uh, Holder said to me, uh, yeah, I think sometimes guys go for just looking as absurd as possible. And then I didn't feel quite as old because Steven is a very fashionable guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, Steven, like, I mean, that guy. I mean, know. some of the outfits I see Miles Turner wearing to walk into the arena, they're kind of like, hmm, that's not in my closet. <laughs> see? Welcome to old age. But maybe Who's old now? Maybe that's why I'm in the studio and not... One of the many reasons I'm not on NBA floor. Uh, coming up, we've got a few updates on the Colts head coaching search. We'll touch on Scott Agnes joins us at nine to talk. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam. 
I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Pacers. Jake, as we said earlier in the show, a quiet week on the Colts head coach interview front. And really, I think we kind of warned you of that on Monday. It's just how there's a little bit of a lull here, lull here in the uh, divisional round of the playoffs coming up this weekend. Uh, but as soon as these games end, things will pick back up for the Colts. Ian Rappaport reporting that Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka, so those would be both of the Giants coordinators who we talked with Patricia Trena, covers the Giants yesterday about them, they will both interview on Sunday. Again, the Colts will be watching Saturday night as the Giants take on the Eagles. And then no matter what happens in that 49ers-Cowboys game on Sunday, one of the defensive coordinators in that game will no longer be coaching because obviously one of those teams are going to lose and the Colts have interest in both of them and D'Amico Ryans of the 49ers and Dan Quinn of the Cowboys. So right there, the two Giants coordinators on Sunday, potentially Ryans or Quinn, you would think maybe Monday, Tuesday, something like that. Um, So we could get back into the these are the new names on the list. When will they interview front? I do think it's worth pointing out this, Jake. D'Amico Ryan is going to interview with Denver today and Houston tomorrow. Obviously, he played for the Texans, has a direct connection there with that organization. I'm sure that plays into some of it. If I'm not mistaken, I think Dan Quinn is going to interview with the Broncos tomorrow. Do you read into anything on that end that Ryan's and Quinn are interviewing with the Broncos first? and you don't see the Colts first, or I guess second in Ryan's case, on that list? Like, basically, do you think these candidates are saying the Broncos is the most coveted opening that's out there, or is this more of a logistical thing? Because these are all virtual. It's not like they're doing these in person. It's a very good question, and I do believe personally that Denver would be the job that people would more aspire but I don't. I, I don't think. I mean, I think both will end up. So don't read too much into that. I would not read too much into it. And on the Denver front, you say that because the ownership group is gobs and gobs of money. Russell Wilson. I Denver as an organization, the history of their franchise. I, I think the latter. Here are a couple of things about Denver. The the Broncos in Denver are. If you were to list Denver sports fans' fandom, it's the Broncos number one, Broncos training camp number two, Broncos offseason number three, John Elway's dining habits number four. Really? I mean, it is it is Broncos all the time. Nikola Jokic can't sneak in there somewhere? No. I mean, honestly. I mean, the Nuggets are like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Like, it's something to get by. And then it is. What about the Rockies' bullpen? The, the avalanche. What about the avalanche? The avalanche, if they win the cup. I've been to an avalanche game. Not many NHL games on my... I mean, Denver is the only market that at one time... Now, granted, they didn't end up keeping it this way, but for two years, they did a radio station there that was a Broncos radio station. It was literally Broncos 24 hours a day. 
it was an all Broncos station where they did nothing but talk Broncos. I, I realize we talk Colts a lot here, but we, we do other things. But aside from that, and I know the Colts are beloved and there's a huge passion for the Colts here, but I think outside of Indianapolis, people still think of Indianapolis as a basketball town or even a racing town. And Peyton Manning said that, right? Like, yeah, when I when I came to Indianapolis, all I knew was it was a racing town and it turned into a football town. And it is a football town, don't get me wrong. But I just think that the Broncos, they have a the Broncos have an established quarterback in place. And while I think Russell Wilson may well be broken because he's not mobile anymore. I was going to say, any adjective you want to put in front of quarterback? Understood. But one thing about coaches is all of them are inherently the same in the fact that narcissistically they are convinced they can fix problems. And I think the idea of fixing, I think the idea of going in and making a few tweaks to Russell Wilson and fixing him is more intriguing than working with a guy who has never been a quarterback in the NFL before, which is what the Colts may have. But the other thing, quite frankly, and maybe this is just me, Denver's just a cool city. It's a great city. It's a big market. It's in the mountain. You know, it's not in, but it's on the foothills of the mountains, and it's sunny 360 days a year, surrounded by Those three and a half Those football coaches don't see outdoors. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I just think – the, I think the Denver Broncos are thought of in football circles as one of the top five franchises in the league. I was really hoping you're going to be like, yeah, for sure. These guys want to go light one up and walk around Red Rocks. <laughs> well, that too, right? I don't know about the latter or the first part, but the latter part, Red Rocks is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. names of interest for me, D'Amico Ryans, Mike Kafka. I'd probably put Raheem Morris around there. I know JMB and I were chatting yesterday. He's kind of shifted gears to Dan Quinn. If you look at the Quinn resume with Atlanta, things really dropped off when Kyle Shanahan left there to take the head coaching job at San Francisco. So that's the age-old question with a defensive hire is what happens offensively when things start to break up from a continuity standpoint. So we'll chat more about that, of course, a little bit later in the 9 o'clock hour coming up on tomorrow's show to round out the week. Coming up next, though, back into the Pacers conversation with Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. It is 9 o'clock in Indianapolis. It is technically 9 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, sun making an appearance. Let's hope it decides to stick around a little bit today. Uh, Pacers, suddenly, all of a sudden, the they have looked a lot like the weather of late. Losers of five straight. I think you kind of expected with Halliburton out that there were going to be some bumps in the road. But the last couple in particular really bad fourth quarter in Milwaukee and then last night just never really in it in Oklahoma City joining us now on the Payless Sickers hotline to discuss that Fieldhouse Files as well as uh, I believe 
writing a little bit for us as well. Scott Agnes joins us to talk about the Pacers. Uh, Scott, in Denver tomorrow night for the Blue and Gold. Kevin and I were talking about this. I want your thought on it. I personally feel, well, I'll, I'll just put it this way without saying which way either one of us go to bias it. Um, do you believe that Indiana is looking to make significant changes to this roster? I will say no, nothing significant. They're not seeking it out, nothing significant. Um, but if a good offer comes their way, I think that that has to give them all, uh, they have to give that significant thought. But I'm not expecting, let's say, huge chip turnover here at the deadline. And again, three weeks from today, the NBA trade deadline. Um, do I should I read anything to Tyrese Halliburton not being in the building last night, Scott? I don't think so. I'm not certain exactly what that was, but a good assumption there is that after going to Milwaukee with the team, which is home for him, by the way, right, is that he returned to Indianapolis and continued rehab there. Um, I expect to see him in Denver, but uh, we'll see with that. But no, more than anything, it's usually either returned home or back in the locker room um, getting rehab or treatment or something like that. And we have not heard any sort of update. We're, we're a week out from his injury. Again, the reevaluation date is a week from today. We have not heard anything in the last week, right, on no. any sort of time timetable. Right, nothing new. And in that two weeks is not a, a return to emphasize the fans. That was to be reevaluated, to have a fresh assessment. Basically, don't ask us about it for a couple of weeks, and we'll see. Um, but that elbow, more than anything, more than once I looked into that even more, that scared me even a little bit more than that knee injury, which he similarly had before a couple of years ago. Not uh, shooting elbow, elbow, though, right? Correct. Non-shooting elbow, left one. Um, but I had read where... Uh, you know that had kept guys out 15 to you know 18 games on average so i'm curious to see if that will be something similar and again everybody's body's different how they react some guys are much better playing through pain and everything but um uh, you, you hear about the elbow you're like oh it's a bruised elbow no it's a little bit more than that so scott in your opinion if you take into consideration injuries so that's a big disclaimer Who has been the Pacers' most consistent performer this season? Ooh, uh, I think let's throw out throw out Halliburton just because that's the cheat code right there. Um, it's tough because you I want to tweak the circumstances a little bit, right? Like I might have said Buddy Heald until Halliburton's not in the equation because he's looked like a very different player these last five games. Um, Turner, to his credit, has been really consistent. He's just had a couple of dud games. Right. But after after that, I honestly might go with Miles, um, just with like two exclusions this season. And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Sorry, Jake, did you have, you have something? No, what I'm about saying, you, Jake? What stood out to you? It's funny because I was thinking about that, and, and I part of me wants to say Matherin. But he also has had some games where a little long December. Yeah, you you wondered if he'd hit the rookie wall, right? And then he, you know, he's kind of bounced back from that. Um, you know, some guys. Jalen Smith has probably been as consistent as anybody, but it's because he's just kind of been consistently there, and like hasn't jumped out at you. You know, I 
I don't want to say that Jalen Smith has underperformed Scott, but I I kind of expected a little bit more from him. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I did. I think that's totally fair, and I think Carlisle did as well, and that's why last night it, he gave him his first did not play coach's decision. A guy that re-signed this offseason, a guy that was crowned the starting power forward to begin the year, has started in 65% of games. A little bit bizarre to go so far into one spectrum from starting to the bench to not even playing in a game where Goga gets like six minutes. So basically, to me, I viewed that as a lesson learned. I think Rick still believes in him and and is going to give him more of a shot, but perhaps he thought he needed some kind of wake-up call, some kind of jolt, because he hasn't been playing at that level that we had expected or had been come, become accustomed to really over the last month. And his minutes have shown, too. He's dropped from 23 minutes a game to, like, 13, 14 here. And, and I think that's tough, especially for any big man to get the rhythm out there. Yeah, Terry Taylor was in there before Jalen Smith, of course, last night. Again, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Uh, on the Payless Liquors hotline, Pacers have lost five straight for the first time all season at Denver, at Phoenix, coming up Friday and Saturday. Of course, the Phoenix matchup with DeAndre Ayton, probably one that Miles Turner will be looking forward to. Um, Scott, when I was watching the game last night, I think two prevailing thoughts I had, and they do go hand-in-hand. Hand. One is Tyrese Halliburton has got to be one of the most valuable players in the NBA to his own team. Like It's unbelievable how valuable he is to the Pacers. And off of that, I think the Pacers need one more major piece if we're looking big picture. You know, you saw Milwaukee on Monday night, down Giannis, uh, or I guess Monday afternoon, down Giannis, down Middleton, and they still put up 130. Drew Holiday is a huge part of that. They, they have that another piece that can be a catalyst, and obviously they've got a whole lot around him from a shooting standpoint. Um, I know that's kind of a lofty goal to be at a Milwaukee level, but if you're going to rebuild, rebuild. And, and I, I kind of look at it as it's still a team that should be striving to get one more piece to go along with viewing Halliburton and Matherin as you know two definite guys moving forward. No, I would completely agree with you there. And I think, I don't know if he'll get it, but I think Drew Holiday should be getting serious consideration for All-Stars. But yeah, if you're, if you're the guy in the video room cutting up highlights and drawing up a case for Halliburton to be an All-Star, all you're doing, right, is sending the other coaches in the league the video from the last five games and the stats. And they're like, look, without him with him like this is this is what it looks like and so much of it i wonder too just because we've talked this season with rick about you know how little play calls he's doing and how tyrese is not only being the quote-unquote connector out there but he's also running the show he's calling the plays he's getting them into the offense he's setting guys up he's passing it ahead that there's even more now of a drop-off when he's not out there because of how much of an influence and, and power and, and how much he helps everybody else on the floor. I think you're really seeing that here. Scott, the one interesting thing to me about this team, Scott Agnes is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. The, the player that it feels to me like this team is missing is interestingly enough one that seems like there's a surplus of to a lot of teams in the league. And that is just... A, a length wing guy, you know, a, one of the a six seven six eight guy with a wingspan that can guard on the wings, maybe get you ten or twelve points, but it's primarily there as a wing defender. OG you know, Ananobi, 
OG Ananobi. I, you know, it feels like Oklahoma City has thirty-seven of these guys. <laughs> Minnesota yeah. has like ten of them. Is that if you if that's what you need as a team? If that's what you're missing, is it a buyer's market for that, or are you going to have to give up some pieces to get a guy like that? Yeah, it's the latter, Jake. I mean, it's not even a first-round pick or two. It might even be three is what it seems like. Let's take a guy like OG Ananobi because you're right. It completely makes sense, and, and I, I'm, I've been on that train for several years now. That's the position they need to fill, the lengthy wing who can defend first. And think how much better, perhaps, Andrew Nimhard might be right now because I worried about him going into this stretch purely because, one, he's a rookie, Two, he's already taking on the biggest defensive assignment each night. Now you want him to run the offense as well? That is so much to ask of any player. Also taking in consideration he's just a rookie. So that's another area where, yeah, that they would really uh, get some help there. And you're seeing a lot of those young teams. You're right. That That's kind of the prototype. Specifically Toronto and OKC, they just draft six, seven, six, eight length and try to develop them and see what kind of talent they can get out of them. And the Pacers certainly could use at least one of those. And so, again, I think that's a situation where they're not going to be willing to give up four first-round picks for any of these guys. But if if they need to be a third team in a deal, if they can work their way in, the thing right now, for one, uh, about the trade deadline is nothing really gets going just yet. So anything right you hear right now generally is not going to develop. It's more speculation since, as KB said, we're three weeks out. What you'll really see is that final week, three days beforehand, things pick up. People then to really understand what the cost is and not just throwing out outlandish um, you know, offers or demands, I guess, if you will. But thus far, the biggest thing I've seen so far is with the play-in tournament, it's altered teams' expectations and willingness to give things up because they're clinging on to hope. They're 10th right now, and even though they're five games out of 7th, they're like, well, we could finish in the play-in game and maybe make the playoffs. And so, therefore, right now it feels like there just aren't a lot of buyers out there. But it, uh, or seller, excuse me, out there. Does but the, again, we'll see closer to the time. Does the continued kind of evolution of Aaron Neesmith soften a little bit? Like, can he be that guy, Scott, or does he need to be kind of the secondary defender on the wing and they still need a length guy? Yeah, I, I think the latter point. I think you really need more of a physical, more of a lengthy guy out on the perimeter. And if Neesmith... Really, Nemhard, I think. Nemhard would probably be your number two, and then Neesmith would be your number three in an ideal situation. Um, that, that would just free up so much for everybody else out there. And, so, uh, and then if you want to take it another step further, I think it's the next position I would address is the true four spot and get a, a kind of a bully power forward, an enforcer out there that can also contribute to both ends, can rebound, because that's always been a struggle for this franchise. Um, but that'd be the next position of need. I'd go down the list. Can Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files? Last one from me, Scott. You've seen in years past the Pacers, you know, get a Jalen Smith, get an Aaron Neesmith via trade. You know, lottery picks that have not, you know, had great opportunity and or just not worked out in their previous spots. Do you look at Chris Duarte and or Gogo Batadze? I know Gogo wasn't a lottery pick, but do you look at them in either of that light right now as like? It's just not going to work out here for whatever reason. And Indiana, 
should look at moving them slash I don't even know what they would yield in return. Yeah, with Goga, I mean, I'm sure another team could have him for a second-round pick. I, I think the writing has kind of been on the wall there in terms of he doesn't exactly fit here from what I've seen. Now, Duarte, not at all the case. They're very much believers in him. I, I think there could be a willingness to part with him for the right price just because you'd, you'd have to consider everything right now if you're the Pacers um, and, and you're trying to build assets. And, you know, what if Duarte could step in on a playoff team right now? Uh, and and have that confidence with them. I, I, to me, nobody's untouchable. That's how I look at it. Um, but I, I think I think there has to be a willingness to move on for Dorte. However, you look at what he's done over the last month, really since injury, and I gotta believe that really took a dent on his value right now. So I'm not even sure you'd want to consider that um, right now. If anything, is now the time when you consider moving a guy like Buddy Heald only because you see how he has been relying on Halliburton and maybe how those two have to go hand-in-hand. I don't know. The the, the thought in general, if you're the front office or the Pacers, I think you have to consider, is is this the best that Buddy and Miles will ever play? Correct. Meaning, do you sell high right now? Yeah, that's fair. That's a significant thought I'd have to have right now. That's a really good question, actually. Uh, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files is where you can continue to read all of the Pacers coverage. Again, Pacers in Denver tomorrow night, then Phoenix on Saturday before back at the Fieldhouse Tuesday for the Chicago Bulls. Scott, appreciate it. Enjoy what remains of the sun here this morning. All right. Thanks, guys. I think one thing to note, Scott just brought up there, um, and and you touched on as well, Jake, Turner and Heald, if you retain them, and then again, you're obviously going to have to give Turner a big extension. You're, of course, going to give Halliburton the extension he deserves this offseason. There goes your flexibility from a cap standpoint. Pacers are in a great cap situation. And, you know, when you hear the word cap or salary cap, I think we only think of free agency. Trades. You can absorb contracts and trades. You can do a lot of things with your cap room if you are, again, going to give Turner and going to give Halliburton that sort of money, you really limit yourself moving forward in that flexibility, which is a word Kevin Pritchard uses often. I understand it. It's really beneficial to how the Pacers have operated lately. And basically, you'd be all in on the 2023 draft with those three first-round picks to find that next major piece. So I think that is a question you have to ask yourself. If you're going to pay Turner a whole lot, and obviously you're going to re-sign Halliburton, it really limits your cap space moving forward. Uh, by the way, wanted to also point this out in case you are in your car and you are headed south. Um, this, according to Fox 59, just came out. According to Fox 59, one person has been fatally shot on I-65 just north of the Franklin exit. Now, what it doesn't say is whether that is the northbound or southbound, but it looks to me like it's the southbound the southbound I-65, and it is obviously... Just past Whiteland exit? Is that yeah, where we're looking? And I, and I think, I mean, obviously, I don't know that the interstate is closed just yet, but it certainly appears to be at a stand, uh, an absolute wow, that's awful. standstill. So, um, at any rate, I-65, if you are headed towards Franklin or that area, you might want to jump over to US-31 or take an alternate route. Who's our caller, our truck driver we had on the pop quiz last week who said that's his favorite route? Oh, that's right. 65, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seymour, the old Seymour outlet. Do you know what has great roads, what state has great... And 
has at least the last time I was through it had really good roads. Missouri. Oh, I seventy in Missouri is usually pretty. I was actually I, on. I visited Missouri as a college, um, so I that is the only. Did time you like I've University done, of Missouri? Loved it. Um, yeah, absolutely loved it. Shakespeare's Pizza we got in town. Yeah, if I wasn't so risk averse, I probably would have gone there. So what's that? If I wasn't so risk averse as a human being, I probably would have gone oh, that's there. Nice word. Um, I was driving on I seventy. How absurd is this in hindsight? When I thought about going to the University of Kansas my senior year of high school, my parents let me go by myself <laughs> to go look at the school. I was like, I'd like to go visit. I remember like, I went and I got one of those books. And, from- and this comes from a, a woman who calls you to alert you about <laughs> rainy and wet leaves. So, so I went to B. Dalton Bookseller. And I bought one of those college books. They probably don't even have these anymore because of the internet. But they had these college books that would, and it was broken into quartiles, right? Mm-hmm, of sure. like yeah, highly lower. competitive, more yeah, rare, competitive, rare. competitive. And I went, to, I took a ruler and and slid it down to like the last, the lower quartile of quartiles, and flipped everything to the left. And that was the least competitive section. And the schools that it appeared as though that my grade point average would allow me into were the University of Alabama, the University of Arkansas, and the University of Kansas. Well, great athletic reputations there. Of course. And I'm like, you know, Kansas seems like it'd be cool. Attract students that don't know how to make sausage very well. Come on down. (laughs) So I say to my parents, I I think I want to look at the University of Kansas. And my mom said, oh, okay. Well, would you like to go? And I said, yeah. And so... She said, okay, well, why don't you just take a, you know, we'll call you into school or whatever. I think you get so many days off. And I just went by myself. And and the best part, we had a family friend who their daughter was a, a track runner at Kansas. And their youngest child, who was like 10, wanted to go visit her sister. So they just said, well, you can just take Ann with you. So the two of us road tripped. I was with us. I, she actually was probably like a sixth grader. But at any rate, I was on I-70. I don't think in, that makes it any more better. <laughs> I was on I-70 in the state of Missouri. This is the only time that, that I've ever even heard of anything like this happening, but hand on the good book, this is the truth. On I-70, probably near Columbia, truth be told, Kevin, and all of a sudden this flank of police cars goes flying past and they like set up a perimeter on the interstate they shut the interstate down it was like whoa like screech the brakes and i'm like what in the world is happening and i was towards the front of the line if you will of where it closed and then i hear this noise and i look up and a commercial airline plane lands on i-70 whoa ambulances and i'm like what in the world i'd never seen anything like this i kid you not and and then after probably it really must have been down that day and then boom after like 30 or 45 minutes the you hear the jets fire back up and the the ambulance takes off the plane goes back up in the air all right we're good and then i it turns out it was a i believe it was state not federal but a state senator had a medical emergency on the plane and they land they radioed ahead and landed it on the interstate and then i later found out and this might be urban legend but I, I actually do think this is true, that when the U.S. interstate system was incorporated by Dwight D. Eisenhower, that it is there is some sort of a bylaw that in certain states, every there has to be one straight 
one mile of straight interstate like every 35 miles for purposes like that. Hmm. Kid you not. Never seen anything like it before or since. You know, speaking of Lawrence and your stint there, I was thinking about that yesterday when I saw the Dan Orlovsky tweet and him, you know, looking under the sofa for positives from the Jeff Saturday era. And I felt like if we did that with your stint at Kansas, it'd be like, Jake Quarry passed the library on six occasions. <laughs> I, I, okay, here's the thing. Jake's alarm went off and he only snoozed it twice today. I, As you know, in October of 2020, I had a heart stent put in, and that was actually the um, second least challenging stent of my career. <laughs> the most being the year that I spent at the university. 100% on me. I was a terrible student. I had no focus. I was homesick, and I was too immature to be that far from home. Long time ago. But full circle, what are we, two classes away? Is that what you alerted yeah, me to? You, you got it. So in May, well, we got a DJ Diesel can DJ the graduation. <laughs> Maybe that's when the PBR party happens when Jake is done. Gotta be. Oh, there you go. I mean, Jake, that'll be perfect. Friday of Carb Day. I mean, I, I know you kind of have to work after the show. You know what? I think the PBR party would be good. Would be like opening day of the tournament. Ooh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, the Pacers gonna have thirty wins by then. <laughs> it is kind of a combo. Oh, you'll either be celebrating or drinking to forget. Kevin. Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, we mentioned the I-65 uh, backup. Kyle uh, just texts me and goes, "Pass that an hour ago." So take that for what it's worth. Uh, on his way to Louisville at the time, he said it wasn't too bad. Ten cop cars, but had two lanes open at that time. It looks like, based off the picture, uh, it's gotten a lot more backed up. So again, right around Franklin. A southbound I-65. Kyle does end the text with, Go Irish, Fire Bray. Oh, really? Bruce Weber in the mix, huh? So that is what Are we our, just starting that rumor this that, morning? Is that our fourth Notre Dame basketball fan in the world? <laughs> yeah, right okay. now, my list looks like this, okay? Bruce Weber. Got Tom Crean on there. Got yeah, Michael bro. Lewis. Got Dane Fife. Got Micah Shrewsbury. I've got Chris Quinn. How about Ron Hunter? Isn't Tulane having a nice job at Tulane? Isn't Tulane having a great year? He's had a good, done a good job. We could get him that stool that he had at Georgia State. (laughs) That he flew off. (laughs) How great was that? I love that now in the NCAA tournament montage. That's like a frequent appearance. Oh, it was great. Well, I mean, the fact that it was this kid that hit the shot, it kind of adds to the whole thing. Tulane did lose by twenty last night to number one Houston, but they're twelve and six on the year. Who is the coach at College of Charleston? Oh, is that the crazy guy, Pat Pat Kelsey? I don't know, but they they had a guy named John Crest that won like eighty six percent of his games. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, but Pat, they're ranked. Pat Kelsey, he's nuts. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we, throw him nuts in what way? Uh, like emotional. Um, yeah, crazy. Mike Bray is a tier three coach according to the Athletic, and there's a lot of names on that list. That I'm sure you would take over Mike Bray that are uh, featured in that tier with him. Is, if you guys want to, we can commit an hour to that segment tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I like Mike Bray. I, I I love him, to be honest with you. I do. Unbelievable job, but all good things have to come to an end. Do you think he would go somewhere else if he were to leave Notre Dame? No, or do you think, think this is it? No. He's a big... Uh, there's a beach in Delaware that he's obsessed with each offseason. If you said it, I would know it. Did he coach at Delaware? Yeah. That's you know, I'm an honorary Blue Hen. Have I told you that? Boy, I'd ask uh, why, but we're really up against it. But I'm just going to tell you anyway. 1993 NCAA tournament, Delaware was here. 
uh, they played Louisville at the Hoosier Dome. I went down. I was like, well, I'm going to go down and sit in the student section. I went down, uh, started leading the the Delaware chant with the like 12 students that had made the road trip from New Ark, Delaware. Those were the two guys that I then said, well, where are you guys staying? And they said, well, we just road tripped in. We have no idea. And I said, well, you stay at my parents' house. My mom like made him. Oh, this is wonderful! My dad got up yeah, in the morning. This made is better breakfast. than the sixth grader Jake took on the road trip. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, at any rate, during the chanting uh, that I was leading the different chants for Delaware, the president of the university, and I believe his his last name was Uberoth. I remember that he came down and said, "I hereby declare that you are an honorary blue hen." Spencer Dunkley was their center. He was drafted in the second round by the Pacers. You do have to love like the mid-major team that comes to the big market, and I feel like naturally you just have people adopt them. Oh, totally, yeah. The, and they had no chance against Louisville, right? Pop quiz in five, three one seven two three nine ten seventy for that. Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs. Let's hit a morning check down. Well, I'm always highly impressed with myself. I, I should do. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Scotty, what league is Delaware in? Oh, the America East, for sure. They are not in the America East. Really? Oh, Atlantic 10, maybe, yeah. That Delaware? Right. In the A-10? Hold on. I don't see them in the A-10 either. Could they be in the Colonial? I thought for sure they were in the America East when Bray... Don't think well, I'm not feverishly looking for a Delaware score to pass along for the... Check the Colonial here. Athletic Association. Colonial. Were they ever in the America East? I don't see that. Oh, there they are, the Delaware Blue Hens. They're 2-4, and four, off to a rough start this year. Well, I, their coach is a former Bray point guard, Martin Inglesby. 10-9 and nine overall. Uh, unfortunately, losers, 59-58. They're at, they are taking on William and Mary uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. This Mary. is your Delaware Blue Hen basketball update. Looks Mary's like, going to be there. William Doubtful. Looks <laughs> looks like they left the America East right after Bray left. Well, Hell of a run there for, for Mike Bray. They're hanging out at that beach with Mike As an Bray. honorary Blue Hen, I missed the memo. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Terry Morin, who is now the winningest basketball coach in Indiana women's basketball history. Win number 189 last night came for the sixth-ranked Hoosiers as they defeated number 21 Illinois 83-72. Indiana now 17 and one overall. You know, obviously, you were expecting a Greg Rakestraw text. They were in the America East, he says, when Mike Bray was there. Thank you, Rake, for that. Rake joined us tomorrow, right? He didn't text yeah. me that. Yeah. Well, he knew you were busy over there. Uh, tonight on the college basketball front, uh, things begin here locally. Purdue, 7 o'clock tip at Minnesota. Is that going to be a quiet barn? Insert your joke here, probably, Jake, but 6 o'clock local time? That is an odd start time for a local start. I think it's ESPN2, so that probably has played into some of it. Minnesota's just been terrible on the season. Uh, Purdue beat them pretty soundly in Mackey back in December. Zach Eady had a huge game. And then at 8.30 night, really important one uh, for Indiana. At Illinois, obviously, we saw what the Hoosiers did against Wisconsin on Saturday. Much needed. Now the question becomes, can you take it on the road? And, Jake, really, you look at these two teams – I would say both of them. Illinois played better as of late, but both would qualify as disappointing this season. Um, totally agree. I, I can't remember what game it was we talked about. Where I, I think it was in the NFL. Um, either this season or last, there was a Colts game. I remember saying that I thought it was a fork-in-the-road game for one of the two teams. And if somebody were to lose, it, it might send them in a direction they don't want to go towards. And that could be what happens with... Indiana and Illinois, uh, we shall see. Also last night in college spread. basketball, Bradley 78-67 over Indiana State. Sycamore is now 13-7, 6-3 in the MoVal. 
I'm going to double check those lines. Last I saw for uh, Indiana was six and a half this morning. I thought that was a little, a little large. That does, I would think, four maybe. Purdue's gone down. It was 14 and a half. Nothing like Max was up at 3 a.m. I'm like, let me check the spreads. So, uh, yeah. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Purdue, 13 and a half. Or just, you know, good factual information for the show. That's kind of how you could look at it in a little bit of a different light. Uh, 8.30. What's that? FS1, Big Ten Network tonight for Indiana? The FS1 things throw me off. Whenever there are games on FS1, I get... Six and a half still. Indiana underdog. 144 and a half, the over-under... In that one, so they're expecting a high-scoring game from the other Assembly Hall. We haven't really done it this show. It's just quickly NFL schedule for this weekend. Again, the Saturday games, both the one seeds. That will be the Chiefs and the Jags at 4.30, the Eagles and the Giants at 8.15. And then on Sunday, Bills and Bengals at 3, 49ers and Cowboys. Uh, FS1 for Indiana tonight, by the way. ESPN2 for Purdue. FS1 for Indiana, Illinois. And radio-wise, our sister station, WIBC, will begin coverage from Champaign at 7.30. All right, pop quiz is next, 317-2. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. By the way, 55 years ago today, Ray Haroon passed away. So I'd throw that along. I just saw that. Have you taken a look yet? How are we looking for the pod? Uh, For the Pop Quiz? No, I said pod. (laughs) Podcast? (laughs) Do you think that our boss likes the fact that this show goes off the rails in the 9 o'clock hour? I find the 9 o'clock hour to be when we're really starting to hit our groove. So, Live Golf is going to be on TV? It was a matter of time, wasn't it? What? Who's airing it? So, this is the same network that we're going to get that IndyCar series on, right? The the behind the scenes, the CW network? No. Oh, the anim- the toy fro- uh, the animated frog that was back in the 90s? I, I, I've heard it's quite the interesting the frog TV that did channel. All the- is that what it is? Yeah, it's kind of an odd. It's right up there with True TV and TV channels you don't is actively it like the, seek out. The junk drawer of television networks. That's probably a good way to describe. It used it. to be the WB or something like that. And the that's WB. what the IndyCar's version of the Netflix series is going to be on. Correct. Well, that that Buffy the Vampire Slayer wasn't wasn't that on CW? That seems like that would be a good call. One I can't, Tree Hill wasn't that another one? I can't say I've watched the CW network ever. What was that uh, fellow's name? Is it Hank Hill? 
Wasn't that a yeah was, from King of the Hill? King of the Hill. That's Bobby. It. That's right. <laughs> propane and propane accessories. Now is that the is that kind of a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead? The same guy made it, Mike Judge. Yeah, well, it, but the I told he you he was in there. Yeah, Hank. When Hill I interned there. at MTV, Mike Judge had an office that was on the floor that I worked on. And that was right at the peak of Beavis and Butthead, and and like the three times that he was ever in the office, every like literally everyone walked in. and was like, "Can you just do the laugh, Woody?" Yeah, <laughs> be walking past. Uh. <laughs> no, nothing screams more intern sense of humor than that, right there. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he loved us, right? Uh, all right, uh, number one through eight, Jake, for the pop quiz. I'm scrolling through the questions now. No chance anyone goes five for five. Oh, totally disagree. These are very manageable. Especially the softballs that Jake's going to Very be manageable. Up. Oh, yeah, five? All you got to yeah, know is... It, easy. Think about... Who, Here who, comes a hint, so go off and do turn off his mic. Who man. has Peyton Manning's Heisman? Uh, just an, an example. Number one through eight. Who did the Pacers trade George Number McGinnis one for? through eight. <laughs> Six. Six. Keith. Keith! Hey, guys. How you doing? Keith, who's the greatest athlete named Keith? Oh God! Uh, well, we're probably hoping yeah, that you could go. You could go, Keith Smart. I, guess, I was going to say we're going to find out if you're exactly that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not local, but uh, where are you uh, from, yeah, Keith? Uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, originally, but live here in Plainfield for I guess since '08. Uh, so, when you were yeah. a kid, was it particularly enjoyable to you to play Monopoly and and get the Reading Railroad? Uh, it was, I guess, it was a you know, feather in the cap. I guess, yeah. How, and, and what's the <laughs> name of the gal that brought you to Indianapolis? Uh, her name's Karen, the part of Jasper, Indiana. Oh, okay. Yeah, Keith, my, my mom's have name. you called before? Have we talked I about did, Jasper? Yeah, and, and back in August. Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, it's been a while. Does your so, wife yeah. get angry at restaurant managers? No. Okay, that's good. No. Neither no. does Jake's mom. Uh, <laughs> no. Keith, are you? I, I'm not familiar where that is located in Pennsylvania. Would you consider yourself a Steeler or Eagle fan or neither? That's a, that's a pretty much a Philadelphia area. Well, about an hour west of Philadelphia. So I'm Eagles, Flyers, Sixers, Phillies all the way. So your I'm thoughts, looking forward to Saturday. I was going to say, your thoughts on Saturday night? Uh, they should win. They have a better team. But uh, you, you, still, you, you just don't know. These are the scary. I think last time the Eagles went to the, won the Super Bowl, their first round was against Atlanta, and that went to the last play of the game. And then after that, they kind of rolled from there. So... This is going to be probably the – it's going to be a tough one. I, I, I don't know what the spread is, like seven or nine. I think it's going to be under that. Uh, Keith, so, have you been to Hoagies and Hops, the sandwich joint? I love that place. Yeah, uh, no, I have not. No, oh, man. Like, See, yeah, we got like Wawa's out there. Well, but Hoagies and Hops here in town on Boulevard is just south of Butler. Uh, okay. It's, it's basically a Philadelphia-themed restaurant. The entire thing, uh, the gal that runs it is from Philly, and so it's the entire thing. You're going to feel like you're walking into home. Oh, that'd be great. I'd have to mark that down because that's the stuff I miss. I'm I'm sure. Local mom and pops. Uh, Eight and a half is the spread, by the way, Keith, for Saturday nights. All right, so uh, we'll see if you are Keith Smart and Daryl Thomas is about to dish you in the corner. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with question number one or Kevin? I'd go to Kevin today. All right, Keith, let's lead off here with... I kind of like this answer. On this day in 1974, UCLA's record-winning streak of 88 games was snapped. Who knocked off John Wooden's Bruins to halt the longest winning streak in men's college basketball history? A, Houston, B, USC, C, North Carolina State, or D, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame? I have to think, is this Astrodome? I want to say Notre Dame. Or Houston. 
either Notre Dame or Houston. I'm going to go. I want to say Houston. I'm going to go with Houston. I think the game was in the Astrodome. Go off of what? I mean, Keith, my voice almost cracked there. Okay, we'll go with Notre Dame. Hey, Keith, just so you know, in 1969, Houston defeated UCLA to begin the college basketball season. Elvin Hayes versus Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Then they rematched in the 69 Final Four, where I believe UCLA beat them 101 to 69. So, um, so that was before. All of that gotcha. happened. All right, question okay. number two. Today is the 21st anniversary of the Tuck Rule game. In the Tuck Rule game, Tom Brady, of course, it was ruled an incomplete pass upon further review after a sack fumble. Patriots went on to win in overtime. They were the darlings at that time before everybody got tired of them. Uh, who's hit on Brady in the snow? Forced the fumble that was later overturned. Was it Charles, Charles Woodson? Wood- Charles Woodson. Okay. All right. Number three, Keith. Another day, another Nikola Jokic triple-double. And the Pacers will see him tomorrow night. In the midst of his 31-11-13 performance last night, Jokic became the Nuggets franchise leader in career assists. Whose record did he break? Andre Miller? Fat Lever? Alex English? Or former Pacer great Ty Lawson? I'm going old school. I'm thinking Fat Lever. I'm going to stick with Fat Weaver. Okay. Okay. Uh, question four. Jalen Brunson scored 32 points in the Knicks' loss to the Wizards last night. He has now scored 25 or more points in eight straight games. Name the last Nick to score 25 or more points in uh, uh, Nick's guard, excuse me, to score 25 or more points in at least eight games in a row. Was it Clyde Walt Frazier, Allen Houston, Bernard King, or Dick Barnett? Go against the grain here, Keith. Yeah. Dick Barnett was like my mom's neighbor and every mom's neighbor I, I back think, in the 70s. I think he was the host of, of, of Card Shark. Uh, Go with the least obvious. Walt Frazier, Alan Houston, Bernard King, or Dick Barnett? Go with the guy that sounds like he might have been on Bewitched. Walt Frazier, Alan Houston, Bernard King, or Dick Barnett? I guess I'll go with Dick Barnett. Okay. Scotty loved that one. Uh, nothing like a hockey question to end it. Scotty, I can't pronounce any of these people's names. Uh, Steven Samkos of the Lightning became the 47th player in NHL history to score 500 goals with his hat trick last night against Vancouver. Samkos is 502 goals for his career as he joins Alexander Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby as the 500 club's only active members. Name the Hockey Hall of Famer who ended his NHL career with exactly 500 goals. Jean Bellevue, Lanny McDonald, Joe Mullen, or Peter Bondra? I'm a big hockey guy. I know I know those names. I just don't know who ended with five. I'm going to go with Lanny McDonald. Ooh. Wow. Keith. Impressive. Wow. That was impressive. Can you imagine if he would have been four for four and just <laughs> flung that out of nowhere? Uh, Although number one bothered me there for a while there. I thought Keith was kind of overthinking that, wasn't he? I thought that was – no offense to Keith at all. I've always thought that Notre Dame winning that game was kind of, kind of household the, knowledge. Mostly kind of putting be, our name on the map, right? Uh, it, clearly, Keith's never had a conversation with Eddie White, who mentions that within the first five seconds. Uh, it was Notre Dame, <laughs> yeah! 71-70 at the Joyce Center. Charles Woodson was correct for question number two. Uh, yeah! Question four, Dick Barnett was correct. Question five, Lanny McDonald correct. Question three is where he got tripped up. Um, The record that was broken by Nikola Jokic's triple-double actually belongs to Alex 
English. And Alex English, I'll tell you a good story about Alex English. Um, Thanks, Keith. Former Pacer executive Donnie Walsh told me this story. Donnie was an assistant at South Carolina and in charge of recruiting for Frank McGuire. I didn't know he was there at one point. Mm -hmm. Alex English was a star guard in high school in Columbia, South Carolina. So Donnie went in to to do a home visit. And he said Alex English was like the most impressive young person he had met with. And he said, so what are your goals as a basketball player? And Alex English said, well, actually, let me tell you, my first goal would be to go to college and graduate with a degree in English because I want to be able to teach literature to young people. And Donnie said, uh, okay. And he said, and then I want to get into the NBA. And when I'm in the NBA, I want to lead the league in scoring. I want to be an all-star. I want to be like an all-star game MVP, and I want to make the Basketball Hall of Fame. Wow. And Donnie's like, okay. Similar to your goals when you walked onto campus at Lawrence. <laughs> uh, the difference being Alex English accomplished every goal that he had outlined. That is wild over the course of his career and then he was eventually larry brown took the head coaching job for the denver nuggets so donnie walsh went to denver to become an assistant for the nuggets and when he was there he said uh we got to get alex english so they traded george mcginnis from the nuggets to the pacers for the young player alex english who was with the pacers every time i see alex english i picture him in the rainbow nuggets uniform oh the fat lever too also, but I mean, great players. There was a time late in his career where Ty Lawson did get a little, looked like he enjoyed a pizza. He was also fat lever, yes, that's correct. But still quick as hell. He was. Uh, Those he, are fun North Carolina teams to it watch. Was it Ty Lawson, Lawson or Ray Felton that had some issues off the court? I can't remember Boy, which one. One of, yeah. one of the two of them, though, ran into some personal problems, which kind of hurt their career. Might have been both. Uh, we've got Brett Maher prop bets for him making an extra point this weekend. Nothing says... Is he going to get the chance? Let's see it. Sunday. We'll talk about it to round out the show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. You know what this sounds like to me? Galaga? Besides that. Sounds like that IndyCar video game you were talking about yesterday. It sounds like the scene... Welcome to Road America. And um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when they're in the mall and Joan of Arc and Mozart get on the... key. Or no, it's Mozart gets on the keyboards. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like right there. It's a good song. 
Did you ever see that movie, Bill of and Ted's Excellent yes. Adventure? And, his, and the Bogus Journey, too. I haven't seen the third one yet, the, though. The, the original, the few movies stood the test of time less than that movie. When it came out, maybe it was just because I was like 16 and whatever, and I thought it was hilarious. And probably five years ago, I was somewhere. I, I think I might have been in a hotel or something, and it was on. And I'm like, oh, man, like I love this movie. And I watched it. I'm like, this is the dumbest. It was so bad. Speaking of third whatevers, I saw we're getting a third season of Ted Lasso. Well, when is that? When Coming is out it? in the spring. It's the last one, apparently. It is the last one. Yeah. The problem that I have with these shows that take a really long time is I just kind of get checked out on it. For example, Ozark. So we've got about three episodes to go. We took a big break there for Max to be born, understandably. Um, but we're, we're we're now back in it. So okay. I think I got three episodes left in total. Total. And it, has it kept your interest, or are you uh, kind of are you at this point just like okay, we got to finish this? Yeah, here's the 67th person to be killed. Um, right. Yeah, I, Maddie's. I talking in. about Ted Lasso. I'm like, who's died in Ted Lasso? Oh, uh, just fans hearts um i think i'm pretty into it yeah usually i don't sustain like a huge amount of yes let's do it. every time i want to watch ted lasso this and that or ozark or whatever but this one i've actually hung in there for can i make my ted lasso prediction here it's not going to be a spoiler alert everybody is assuming something opposite i think ted lasso is going to end up with the therapist there's my out of left Nick field Nick just tweeted at me, do not watch the third. I, what? I, um, do I know something? Or does he know did you ever watch Dead to Me? No. Like Dead to Me had a huge gap between seasons two and three. And so then I'm like, I kind of have forgotten everything. Now, is Dead to Me the name of the Brett Maher documentary for Cowboys fans? <laughs> uh, well, Dead to Me is about two people, and apparently that's what the kicker room looks like now for Dallas, right? Uh, Dallas has added a kicker. Yes. Uh, Tristan, like... Vizcano. Vizcano? Sounds like a second baseman for the Phillies back <laughs> I was in the day. Say. Uh, so he's on the practice squad, but they still say they're sticking with Maher. Uh, we have a Vegas line out, so what do you think? You think it's what, what type of money you think you got a point put on it for uh, Brett Maher to miss? I think I saw this. Plus 500, something like that. Plus 300. So you bet $10, Maher misses an extra point, you get 30 This is unbelievable. You can bet how he will miss it. Wide right, wide left, right post, left post, crossbar. What do you think is the favorite? Wide right. Wide right at minus 140. Now, he missed them both directions, right, the other yeah, night? Uh-huh. He did miss a couple right. Uh-huh. And then I want to say the last one was left. He overcorrected, yeah. So what's the longest shot? Crossbar? Crossbar is plus 3,300. So again, will he miss one? <laughs> this poor guy. $10 to win 30 if he misses it. You can say, no, he will not miss one, and that would be $10 to win $2. Where's the fun in that? A couple other props from the weekend. The biggest winning margin in any game. What do you guys think that that is at? So what will be the biggest blowout? What what number? Which game? Not, no, n- not the game, the number. What will be the biggest margin we have in a game? I mean, it's probably the conventional wisdom. It's going to be Kansas City-Jacksonville, right? And what margin do you think 17. that would be? I'll say 14. 
Jake, 16 and a half. Well, he loses. He's over. And the most points scored by any divisional round weekend team? 38. Mark? 35. 40. Whew. And Jake got this one. The highest scoring game, yes, the favorite there is Jags-Chiefs. Slight favorite over Bengals, Bills, and Giants, Eagles. Seems to be the consensus that Cowboys 49ers will be the lowest scoring game. Okay, what about this? Higher number. Interceptions from Trevor Lawrence or made extra points by Dallas? I think you got to go Lawrence picks. <laughs> I don't because if if Maher misses one, he's not going back out there for another one. Yeah, that's probably. If right. he misses one, he's done. I I see two picks from Lawrence. Could they go for two? Could Dallas just go for two yeah, every time? It'll be like yeah, it's like you're back in high school and the kids missed a 19 yard field goal. Middle school in particular, middle school almost all you know. It's, go get Johnny from the soccer. Ryan field. Horvath. We had a kid named Ryan Horvath that could hit extra points and field goals. It was like unbelievable in eighth grade. If Unbelievable. He, if he misses another extra point, Jerry Jones is going to come down from the, the owner's box. Oh, yeah. And say, I mean, what do you guys uh, make of this? suck on that all week. <laughs> Mark, come on now. Got a guest in studio and you're acting like that? Show him how the show's run. Now, what do you think? Do you think they signed this guy for... He's going to get the call I mean, up on you... Sunday all week long. They act like it's not a storyline and then boom... They call up Viz Caino. I mean, do you keep? Do you I think that's such do a Do you risk. carry two kickers into the active roster no, just as a safety? Oh, oh boy, that that creates even more of a storyline, doesn't it? Probably. <laughs> you're, you're watching them in warmups. All right, who's kicking better in warmups? We're gonna we're gonna pick that. I mean, that might be the most anticipated play of the weekend. Dallas's first extra point. Not a Mahomes pass. Not a Josh Allen. Well, it's like Eli Manning said on the Manning cast, which was hilarious. By the time the guy had missed three, everyone is watching. I mean, literally, it's like, oh, my gosh, are you watching the Cowboys game? Turn away. They they just scored. This guy's got, you know. And by the time, the fifth was the one he made, right? Right, that was the biggest cheer of the night. And and Eli Manning said, he's like, I mean, it was just such a great comment from Eli Manning because... It was like a stream of conscious, like he didn't even realize he was saying it, and he just said, I've never been more nervous for an extra point in my life. <laughs> yeah, going left, throwing back right in the end zone. Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. I've never seen anything like it. Why are we <laughs> kicking on? it? Why are we kicking it? Peyton cannot hide his emotions. What is going He can't believe it. Talk about a buzzkill. <laughs> No one's ever missed three field, three extra points in a row. You That's kind of guy at halftime of a playoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought ESPN did a great job of getting the quick sideline shots in. Like what, what ESPN of Dak Prescott's didn't do a reaction good job of. of the Jerry Jones reaction on the fifth one. ESPN almost missed it. Oh yeah, yeah. They pulled a Brett Maher at the time. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. I was livid. I'm like, dude, you, you guys almost missed the shot here. You got to show the kick. What do you think we'll see from Indiana tonight? Big one on the road. Six-point underdog. Illinois team that's played better as of late. You have to like a lot of what you saw from IU against Wisconsin. Jake, it's it's kind of been an age-old question. Just can they carry it on the road? Xavier seems like eons ago when they had that performance. Yeah, I I, I hope I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that it's going to be a, a, a hard, you know, a very defensive battled game and that Illinois is going to pull it out in the end. 
I think six points seems like a lot to me. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, important one for the Hoosiers. Again, Purdue and Minnesota, 7 o'clock. If you missed it, we had Bruce Weber on earlier. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. Obviously, some Big Ten, a little bit of Tyrese Halliburton as well. That'll be up on the podcast. We'll recap the Big Ten slate. Talk to you about the Pacers weekend tomorrow. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.